Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Man, we are saving people money left and right over at SaveWithConrad.com, but don't take my word for it. Check out ConradReviews.com. Here's what you'll find over there. A five-star review from Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He says, once again, Conrad and his team hit a home run. Jimmy, as always, kept in constant communication during the whole process, gave us options, and made the process smooth and easy. Who knew listening to a wrestling podcast would help me out financially? And here's another five-star review from Ian F. in Pottstown, PA. Always fast to respond to any questions I had, and boy, did I have a lot. Thankfully, they cut two years off my old mortgage and saved $80,000 over the life of the loan. $80,000? Are you kidding me? He's a wrestling fan who listens to this podcast just like you and his family, and his family gets to keep an extra $80,000. Now, without calling SaveWithConrad.com, they would have worked for that money, paid taxes on it, and then just given it away. Don't do that. Keep more of your own money. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. And I'm talking to you if you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much rates are at near historic lows. And there's never been a better time to refinance than right now. Your house is worth more than ever. You have more equity than ever before. And what does that represent to you? The biggest opportunity to change your life financially once and for all. You can get the best rate you've ever had on a mortgage. You can get rid of all your credit card debt, saving five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And here's the deal guys. Once you owe this money, it's up to you how you pay it back. Doesn't it make sense to pay it back at the cheapest rate possible and the greatest tax deduction possible? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity and you need to take advantage of it. You can even pull some cash out to do some remodeling around the house. What if some of that equity you've got, you used to put a pool in the back or maybe add a new office or even better, a man cave. Come on, get you some of that. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you too right now. And again, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Punch it in. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Check it out. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. So a lot of us have been through this, you know, finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but you hate all the pressure of what's next. Of course, there's all the engagement talk, but then there's the pressure from actually shopping for a ring, hassle, haggling, finding a store to trust, trying to figure out the four C's discounts, sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. But at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged. And that's why guys really hate Steven Singer. 
He takes away every excuse in the book about not buying the ring. And he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler that has been making it so easy to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. There's no call center. There's no sales. There's no haggling. There's no coupon codes. There's no discounts, just the best price possible, guaranteeing the best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. And by the way, they're open now. You don't need an appointment. Just stop by or online at I hate always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Or if you're in the area, go check him out anytime at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. As for me here in Alabama, I'm going to check out. I hate Steven singer.com and you should too. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am just, I hate to keep saying it, brother, but I'm perfect. I could not be happier, healthier, or better. I am uh, grateful to be alive. How about you? Man, me too. Uh, This is my my first 83 weeks as a 40-year-old, and uh, I'm excited to be here. In case you missed it, over at adfreeshows.com, we just uh, dropped... 40 pieces of content, 40 pieces of content in a single day. So check it out. Adfreeshows.com. Uh, tons of fun. Eric Bischoff content too, like Eric fires back and mean tweet receipts and so much good silliness. You don't want to miss it. But today is probably the show I've been looking forward to the most since we first started this podcast. It's bash at the beach, 1996. I didn't want to do it before now because right now. It's the 25th anniversary. Can you believe that? Like 25 years. This doesn't feel like 25 years ago to me. Before we get into all that birthday boy, (laughs) you're just jumping right ahead and skipping over this uh, very important data point. Conrad Thompson, 40 years old. When is your, when is your actual birthday? June 27th. So, uh, several days ago now, but Hey, we made it June. Wow. And what do you think, man? How does it feel to be 40? Uh, it feels the same as 39, but, uh, it is, uh, it is weird. I have to admit, you know, as a kid, you just think, uh, oh, you're in forties. That's old. And now that you're actually 40, you realize, yeah, I was right. That's old. Well, in some ways, but you know, what I've found is, you know, when I turn 40 and when I turn 50 and when I turn 60, and even most recently when I turn 66, there are a lot of things that do change. You're looking at ahead ahead of it right now, 
but in my mind, I still feel like I'm 25. I agree. That's the, that's the part that could either be a blessing or a curse. <laughs> and the older you get, the more of a blessing it becomes, you know, as you, as you get into your forties and your fifties, you know, you still struggle with it because your brain and, you know, you still want, there's things you want to do that you used to do when you're 25 that either you shouldn't be doing or are just not as easy to do anymore. So, uh, but congratulations, man. I, I just want to say this publicly. I love you to death. You've been such a big part of my life over the last few years and have really changed it immensely. And I am very grateful for that. Thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy another 40 more. Hey man, I feel the same way. Mutual, uh, admiration society. It's, uh, the little kid in me is excited every time we get to do a podcast together because you're responsible for so many of our favorite memories. And I say our, because I consider myself really like the first listener to these shows. And it's been a fun journey, you know, talking about the wrestling stuff, but then getting to know you and Lori and our families getting to hang out. It's just been a blessing. And, uh, we look forward to hanging out with you guys every chance we get and can't wait to do more of that this year. And I can't wait to talk about bash at the beach, 1996. We've had so much fun talking about the creation of the NWO and what a historic year 1996 was not only for you and the NWO and WCW, but professional wrestling as an industry. And this show in particular changed it all. Uh, but we're going to do a watch along style. So lots to talk about, but thankfully we've got two hours, 46 minutes and nine seconds to do so. If you haven't already fire up your Peacock network and watch it with Eric and I, we're going to try to entertain you. And, uh, keep this thing going for two hours, 46 minutes and nine seconds. Now, if you're like me, you hate the functionality of the Peacock app, but we can still suffer through and make it work. What I'm going to encourage you to do is just click the little search button and type in bash at the beach. And then you want to find season three. I hate the way they do that, but it's season three for bash at the beach. And, uh, it's going to go down when I give the, uh, the little countdown here, Eric, I'm going to say three, two, one. And when I say play, we'll press play. Are you ready? I am ready to go. My friend, here we go in three, two, one play. Hostile takeover. Was this the first time, Conrad, that you can recall or in your research based on all the shows you've done and your knowledge of wrestling history? Is this the first time the hostile takeover or takeover uh, title was used to brand a pay-per-view or brand an event? Yeah, I believe so. And I now mean, we see it all the time. Just another one of the things that we've all become very used to that all started in WCW and specifically on this pay-per-view to see how things go. I love that we got to watch the go home edition of Nitro together. Let's listen to Tony. A capacity crowd is on hand at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. And welcome as World Championship Wrestling presents the Bash at the Beach. But it's more than just the Bash at the Beach. It is the attempt of a hostile takeover and tonight in front of millions worldwide, in front of a capacity crowd, questions will be answered. Hi, everyone. The fuck is he Tony wearing? Shibani, Dusty Rhodes, Bobby Ooh. the Brain Heenan. Brain Dusty not Tony looks like he's wearing Dusty's tuxedo coat. He's got gray pants, a black jacket, a red cumberbund, a red tie, and the coat 
man is. I mean, it's Michael P.S. Hayes' Taylor, clearly. I mean, it's it's about four sizes too big. I think Tony was trying to convince everybody he was losing weight working out. So he got a jacket that was extra big to make it look like uh, he was making progress. And Bobby Heenan, you know, dressed like a beach guy. That's what they wear down in Boca Raton and Fort Lauderdale and all those ritzy Florida places, man. He, Bobby looks great and dusty. Dusty looks like a movie star, baby. A movie star. Let's, let's listen to what Dusty's saying. To go ahead and say, let's put this thing on first. Let's put that match on and go with it. And let's do this thing. Eric Bischoff, is he hell hostage? We don't know. Who the third guy is, we don't know. Let's do this thing, Tony. We know it's Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man against the Outsiders. And whoever the third man is, it will transpire in this three-hour broadcast. Here we go to kick off let's the match at the beach. Over with. Come on. The mood just feels different already, does it not? Oh, it, it, it does. There was so much... There was just so much energy, you know, they call it buzz in the media business, but this it's hard to describe it. It's really hard to describe the level of energy. And some of it was, you know, anxiety, because at this point, as psychosis is walking out here for the very first match, I am backstage, not entirely convinced yet that Hulk Hogan is going to actually do what we discussed doing. There was a lot of concern about that. And I've, you know, by this point, even I had known Hulk for several years and had gotten pretty close to him. I knew him on a different level than just as a professional and a peer, someone that I worked with. I knew him pretty well personally, and I knew what he was influenced by. I knew what his concerns were. And there was this concern fear, whatever you want to call it, in the back of my mind that when it came down to it, there would be people around Hulk, specifically his family, um, that would possibly, you know, convince Hulk that making this move and turning heel and all of that that entails uh, might not happen. So until Hulk Hogan showed up at the building, which was halfway through this show, I wasn't 100% sure he was going to show up. So while I was excited about what could be, I was also, you know, thinking a lot about, okay, if it goes south, I need to make a move. I can't wait to think about it until that point. I've got to have a solution in my back pocket. So between the fun and the excitement and the buildup and the way the story had been going and all of the positive energy, there was also a fair amount of concern on my part. Hey man, let me smarten you up on something that I learned, I guess what last year chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do it yourselfers. I learned this the hard way, but here's a pro tip for you. Rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. Oh, and they're reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like an airline. RockAuto.com is for everybody. They don't require a membership or an account login. They want to save you some cash. And this is really proven out for me and my family. I think I mentioned this a while back. I got my dad his dream Corvette, an old classic way back when, uh, but I got it for him on his 60th birthday a few years ago. Well, those cars occasionally are going to need parts. We couldn't find anything locally. You know who could hook us up? RockAuto.com. You see, rockauto.com is where I went for my family because rockauto.com is a family business. 
and they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all of your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They literally have something for everybody. We're talking stuff from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, hell, motor oil, even carpet. That's right, carpet for your car. Now, this is not just for old classics. This is for your daily driver, too. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your front door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. So easy, even JR could do it. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specs, and prices you prefer. Now, best of all, prices at rockauto.com, once again, reliably low all the time. And more importantly for me, they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why in the world would you spend up to twice as much for the same doggone parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write 83 weeks in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Guys, this is critically important. We know you're going to love rockauto.com. We know you're going to find everything you need for your car or truck, whether it's a daily or a classic. And we know that you're going to love the reliably low prices all at rockauto.com. But if you can do us this one small favor, when you get to that, how did you hear about us? Checkout box, make sure you write in 83 weeks and let them know that Eric Bischoff sent you. That's rockauto.com. Well, now you said his family. I want to circle back to that. And by the way, we're talking over a hell of a match. Two of my very favorite WCW performers go out of your way to watch this one. I love everything Ray Mysterio and psychosis ever did. This is not going to be an exception. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk about the family comment you made. I was, con- you, I'm paraphrasing. I was concerned that someone, people close to him, specifically his family might talk him out of this talking about the heel turn. We're talking about Linda, right? I mean, cause Nick and Brooke are like five and eight years old. So that's not it. it it's, it's his family. Maybe his agent. It's those type folks. I mean, his wife, his agent, those type folks, not, or, or, or I just want to elaborate, have you elaborate there. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Hulk's agent, Peter Young, who, by the way, is a great guy. Whatever I'm about to say, I don't want to make it sound like I'm disparaging Peter Young. Um, but look, Peter Young has a deep affection for Hulk Hogan, still does. Peter Young has been Hulk's manager probably since early WWF, right? And the bond between those two is very real and very close. And I respect that. <clears throat> And, and I will say that Peter Young truly has Hulk's best interests in, at heart. Uh, so I, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like Peter was selfish or concerned about himself or anything like that. But Peter Young is one of those guys that's always afraid the sky is going to fall. You know, he looks at, in my experience with him, at least in dealing with Hulk, I don't deal with Peter on other projects, but Peter was one of those guys that was always so fearful that something negative was going to happen based on something that Hulk would do um, that he, I, I was pretty sure that he was that voice in Hulk's ear. sowing, and he didn't mean to do it, but because of his affection for Hulk and his role as Hulk's manager, I was pretty pretty sure that Peter was in Hulk's ear on a pretty consistent basis, trying to talk him out of this uh, in his own way. But Linda, I I don't know, you know, Linda was all about the money. She didn't give a shit. Um, 
but she did, you know, she was obviously a strong influence and she could wear you down. She had a strong personality. And if Linda thought that this would be a bad financial move for Hulk, because let's face it, heels don't sell merchandise. Right. Generally speaking, clearly that's not the case with regard to the NWO. They're still making money, as we heard from Scott Hall a couple of weeks ago, uh, still getting those fat six-figure royalty checks off of NWO merchandise. But at the time, we didn't know that. Hulk didn't know that. Certainly, Linda wouldn't know that. Peter Young wouldn't have known that. Typically, you know, in the wrestling business, once you turn heel, you know, your merchandise sales go down dramatically. So I would imagine from, you know, Linda's perspective, that was a concern. But even though the kids were very young, that was one of Hulk's primary concerns. When I had gone down to Hulk's house to talk to him the year before, eight months before, whatever it was, about the idea of turning Hulk, his primary concern was the effect that it would have on his kids. It's the first thing that he brought up. So, man, I've got young kids that are in school. I've got, I live in a community where people, you know, are into the Hulk Hogan character and I'm a positive influence and I do a lot of things for charities. And at the time, I think he had made more make a wish appearances than anybody in history. You know, I, I think John Cena surpassed that sense, but we're talking about 1996 and Hulk was really aware that a lot of those, a lot of those opportunities to work within the community and to work with make a wish and yes, to sell merchandise. Um, all of it was, he was venturing into the unknown. And even though Hulk's, you know, merchandising and, and things like that weren't as popular as it was back in the late eighties, early nineties, it was still significant. He was still getting a lot of commercial opportunities and endorsement opportunities. And he knew that turning heel would be waving goodbye to all of that. So there was a lot of, you know, genuine concern about some genuine issues, but the kids were a big part of it, even though they were very young, Hulk was very concerned that turning heel would have some kind of an adverse effect on his kids. And oh, wow. Kids are kids. Just is what it is. I can't believe that's a real thing, but I, I never even thought of that if I'm honest. So by the way, we are talking over a hell of a match. I know I've said that, but I mean, really go out of your way to see it. Meltzer gives it four and three quarters of a star. I don't know what else we could say about it. It's something it's a 15 minute match, but it's fantastic. They do. They're doing top rope stuff. They're doing acrobatic stuff. They're doing stuff on the outside. Uh, and they're doing mat wrestling. I mean, so something for everybody here, but the big guillotine leg drop off the top to me is one of the coolest moves you could possibly ever see definitely bad for you long-term. Uh, but yeah. man, nobody did it better than psychosis. And this is just phenomenal. I do want to mention you had a turnaway crowd here. So we've talked about how WCW was sort of pulling the nose up and crowds are building and ratings are building and, you know, gates are up, et cetera, et cetera. You had 8,300 fans here, 6,400 of those were paying fans, but you had already papered to get it full because you wind up turning away 2000 fans. So those are 2000 potential paying customers that you don't have tickets for because you've already comped, I don't know, like 1900 or something like that. It's pretty remarkable that just like that, this thing turned from mediocre houses and we just got to have the place full. I mean, even last week, oh my gosh, what a maneuver guys, Eric and I cannot do this justice. We just have to tell you, go watch it. Ray Mysterio is a, such a special talent oh. and, and psychosis is his perfect dance partner. I think if you had Hooventude in there or psychosis in there, either one with Ray was just magic. 
Uh, and that doesn't count what he did with Eddie and, and, and Dean. And anyway, we're just big Ray fans. Go watch it. Anyway, my point is when we just watched the nitro, the nitro right before the show, it is not a sellout. And now this angle is so hot and it's so big. Um, fans are on fire for it. No longer do we just have to do what we can to just make the place look full. We're going to make some fucking money, Eric. And we're turning people away, you know, and, and that was such a cool feeling. And, you know, people would, you know, legitimately ask, well, why would you paper the house? If you ended up turning 2000 fans away, we didn't know when this event was being promoted and when the building was booked and in the planning leading up to this, you know, all of that happened three, four or five months before the actual event. And, you know, when you're staging an event, you have to be a hundred percent sure that you have the audience you want to have. So the, the decision was made early, um, arguably prematurely, but the decision was made early on to paper the house. And a lot of that paper, by the way, and you know this, Conrad, but for our listeners who've never really been involved in promotion, you know, you're giving those tickets to radio stations. You're giving them to people at the newspaper. You're giving them to, you know, groups that will create buzz in the local community. So to ensure that we had enough local, you know, participation from different radio stations and television stations and things like that, things like that, a lot of tickets were given away early on just to ensure that we had all the local promotion we needed. We didn't know three months in advance or five months in advance, just how successful we were going to be ultimately. So we had to err on the side of caution and do everything we could to be absolutely sure. But I can assure you, and, and I'm, I'm sure if Zane Bresloff was with us today, he would be right there with me. Had we known that we would have been turning away 2000 paying fans. Hell, there was a time not too long before this when we couldn't attract 2000 paying fans, more or less turn them away. Um, had we known, had we had that crystal ball, had we been as confident in ourselves as we could have been or should have been, that wouldn't have happened, brother. But it is what it is, and it worked out just fine. And by the way, I would be remiss if we don't acknowledge, while we're talking about the NWO and we're talking about Hulk Hogan's big you know, heel turn here, something that did really create a seismic shift in the wrestling world, um, a lot of the reason why we are in the position we're in is because of the match that we're watching yes. right now. Yes. This style of match, as I refer to it, a presentation of match is something that the vast majority of the American audience had never seen before we started doing it in the cruiserweight division. And I, I've said this before, and I mean it even more now because I've had more time to think about it. The cruiserweight division and the people that were in it, particularly early on had as much to do in many respects with the ultimate success of WCW during this era as the NWO did. The NWO is the thing we all remember. Oh it God. was a big moment, but just damn, you cannot look at the cruiserweight division and not recognize the contribution that it made to the success of Nitro and to WCW as a whole. We just saw Ray Mysterio laying on the mats around the ring and psychosis didn't jump off the apron. He jumped off the top rope with a senton to the floor on Mysterio. And it's the opening match. It's no wonder that WCW is going to take over here and beat the WWF. Not once, not twice, but 83 freaking weeks in a row right there. You can see it right here. 
I wear it proudly. <laughs> By the way, this was my birthday gift from Conrad Thompson and Dave Silva. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Eric sporting a, uh, of course uh, we, we talked a few weeks ago or a few months at this point, I guess about the, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, Buffalo bill Cody. And we talked about the beer and the whole deal. Well, I thought, Hey, Buffalo bill Cody. Hmm. Eric had that beer. He still has the trademark. He lives in Cody. Why don't we get him a Buffalo bills Jersey with the number 83 and make the name on the back instead of saying Bischoff, it says Cody. So now it's Buffalo bill Cody, number 83. There you go. It's goofy, but that's where my brain went and happy. It's comfortable too. I like it. It makes me proud. By the way, I think the Buffalo bill football team was named after Buffalo bill Cody. How about that? Buffalo Bill Cody was a huge star. I know we're not here to talk about Buffalo Bill Cody, but you know, at the turn of the 20th century, beginning of the 20th, 20th, 20th century, Buffalo Bill Cody was one of the most popular American celebrities anywhere in the world. He was Elvis, the Beatles, and Logan Paul all wrapped into one. Boy, you're going to get some heat for that comment. Hey, let's talk about this match in contest. <gasps> Look at what Whoa. every time we turn around, Ray's doing something else that we've never seen. He defies gravity. You know, there, there used to be an air Jordan. Well, the, this air Mysterio is another level. I mean, every time you turn around, it's something you've never seen before, especially in 96, you know, these days, don't get me wrong. You've seen some of these moves put together. We just talked about this the other week, but nobody did them like Ray did. Look at that. A hurricane runner off the top rope to the floor. Guys, stop what you're doing and go watch this. If you're not watching with us, please go watch this match. And by the way, you don't even have to hear Eric and I talk about stupid ass jerseys and Buffalo, whatever. Just watch this fucking match, man. I think you could make the argument and Derek, who helps us with research on these shows, he says he believes, and I can't poke holes in it. This might be the best opening match on a wrestling pay-per-view ever, not just WCW, but any wrestling show ever. This might be the best first match of all time. And by the way, it's as is, is often the case when we go back and we watch something from 20, 25 years ago, no matter how much, you know, we love or respect the performers that are involved, the wrestling style, the, the things that we, we came to expect 25 years ago, you know, they don't hold up today. You know, it, it the, the, the industry, the presentation of wrestling, the style of wrestling has evolved so much over the, the decades now. Um, that a lot of the great matches that we, we go back and watch, and yes, they're great matches, and there's a lot of things to respect about them and, and enjoy watching, but this is a match that from an athletic perspective, which today's wrestling is all about athletic presentation, Yes, um, this is a match that would surpass anything you can find anywhere today. That says a lot for these two. It really does. So a few weeks ago, I uh, took my parents to the beach for their uh, 41st wedding anniversary. And while we were down there, mom started teasing dad that, uh, well, something he said for a lot of years might not be true. He had been saying for a long time, well, my hair will turn gray, but it'll never turn loose. But mom was sort of razzing him saying that she's been finding more and more hair in the shower. I immediately gave dad the pro tip, dude, you gotta try keeps. And by the way, I got so nervous. Because two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. And dad was lucky. Dad was in the 60s before it happened. But I'm trying to get a jump start, baby. I don't want to let it happen to me. 
You see, more than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Check this out. Keeps offers both. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. They've got convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, so you don't even have to leave your home. How about this? Low-cost treatments that start at just $10 per month, and Keeps even offers the generic versions. Discreet packaging and, of course, proven results, Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. Don't wait until it's too late. It's called Keeps for a reason. Keep the hair you've got right now, bud. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash 83 weeks to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month for free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks. Keeps.com slash 83 weeks. It's, uh, it's unbelievable that this is the opening match and we've still got so much more to come after this, but it's interesting that these two things are touching, right? You got one of the greatest matches ever here with psychosis and Rey Mysterio, but up next is John Tenta and big Bubba Rogers in a Carson city, silver dollar match. (laughs) Well, that's taking that whole wrestling buffet thing to a whole new level, right? You've got you've got Wagyu beef grown in in Japan, hand massaged every day, fed fed milk, you know, music playing at night so the cows relax. Uh, the the best thing in the world you could have on a buffet, and then you got tapioca. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's it was crazy. I don't know that I would even call that tapioca. Hey, let's talk about. Real quick, you and I have, have wait, I think this is the finish. Pay attention here. He's setting him up for what looks like the razor's edge off the top rope. They call it splash mountain, but nope. It's a oh. fucking hurricane runner. It's the best match. That ever. is crazy. How did he that do that? Crazy. It's unbelievable. 25 years ago too. look at the crowd behind him. People are going banana for the, for the opening match. Yes. The opening match. That is awesome. You know, I one of the things I, of course, Ray was about sixteen here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he he might have been in his early twenties. I don't I don't remember. But you know, one of the things I've watched, you know, with Ray over the years, and I saw it happening in WCW. We've touched on this before. He's you know, twenty. The he's twenty one, Eric. He's twenty one. Twenty one. Well, there you go. A lot of the cruiserweights didn't really want to be, you know typecast as a cruiserweight for lack of a better way to say it. They wanted to be able to move into some of those main event matches with the bigger guys. And when Ray started putting on weight, you know, he started working out really hard, hitting the gym hard, you know, really putting on some, some mass. Um, it slowed him down. And I think it probably contributed in some ways to some of the injuries that he, you know, incurred. Now, obviously the style of wrestling that, that Ray, you know, used, he, he was going to get injured. It's just a matter of when, but I think adding that 15, 20, 25 pounds of weight from where we see him here didn't help matters at all. And it slowed down his presentation. Here's another one of my faves, Conan. I'm going to be on your podcast again soon, buddy. Let's listen Let's to Conan's. It. 
promo here. But in that in that last match, what was that final move? Well, Psychosis brought him up for a top rope splash mountain, and Rey Mysterio caught him in the air with a top rope Frankensteiner. All right, I know for a fact that last night you wrestled in Mexico. You've had a hard day of travel in uh, jetting to Los Angeles, then back here to uh, Florida. Tonight, I talked earlier on with the nature boy, Ric Flair. He seems to me to be very confident. I might even say, Conan, he is overconfident. This title is on the line. Flair wants it badly. Well, maybe he's got reason to be overconfident. You know, he's done it all. He's won that world title 13 times. Nobody's else, nobody else has done that. But tonight, I'm overly cautious because every, everywhere he goes, he has an entourage. I haven't been here long enough to form an alliance. I haven't been here long enough to be afforded that luxury. But I'll tell you something, Ric Flair. If your manager gets in the match, I'll cripple him. If one of the women get into the match, I'll clothesline him. If that football player gets into the match, I'll chop block him. But Ric Flair, I'm going back home with this U.S. title. All right, uh, I would say this man has uh, got his act together after a long day of travel. Conan with a title defense coming up here at the Bash of the Beach. Mexico. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring for more action. How good was that promo, Conrad? Dude, he's believable. Has he not? He, he did a great job with that promo. It was real. It was to the point. Um, that was a great promo. I, you know, I, people, I guess everybody judges great promos by different kind of characteristics, but... It was real. It was believable. It was to the point. It wasn't, you know, hyperbole and over the top nonsense. It it made you believe he was really competing. I love that. What the fuck are we watching right now? I don't know, man, but I just got vertigo. I was all excited about that Mysterio psychosis match. Unbelievably great, effective promo promo from Conan. And now we're back to the village people. I want you to appreciate (laughs) what we're looking at right now. There's a pole in the corner. And it's about, I don't know, 1300 feet in the air. And there is a bag of Carson city, silver dollars there. Now I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. The issue is these guys, that looks like a rubber, a used one, a used one. What is it? Is it like silver dollars in a sock? It looked like a big giant, like one of those, uh, one of those rubbers or those magnums that I have to use all the time, but. What, are you, are you still kidding. practicing safe sex with Mrs. Bischoff? Feels like you're in the, you're in the the clear now. It's free shots on goal now. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so here's here's my thing. How do you think John Tenta is going to climb up that motherfucker? Why wouldn't you just pull it down? Is, is there a rule that you have to climb up that thing, shimmy up that thing like some stripper at a cheesy strip club outside of Las Vegas? No, you don't have to pole dance your way on up there. Just grab that some bitch, pull it down like a bamboo fishing pole, grab that rubber full of coins off the top of it and go home. Here's my question. I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm legitimately asking. Who would have been in charge of putting that up there? And did they know it was big Bubba and Tenta? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's not possible. We're clearly going to see Jimmy Hart do it in a few minutes. So maybe this would have made sense for Mysterio and psychosis, but it would have fucked the matchup, but you've got 300 pounders and 400 pounders and they're going to climb. They're going to get all sweaty and greased up and climb up this thing. A 400 pounder falling off the top of that thing. He's fucking dead. Fucking Kevin Sullivan. What was he thinking? I love you for that. The Kevin Sullivan went down to poles. R us got one. (laughs) Just give me the, it's a big pipe of you. We got a big pipe of you. Get us a big pole. We need a big pole. 
like a Virgil sized pole, a big one. Either that, or they just ripped off the flagpole that was out in front of the arena. Yeah. I mean, it could have been, but you can tell like there's connectors or connections in between the pole. So it like extended the thing. Yeah. Probably just, gaff tape. Just don't make it so fucking tall. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable to me that WCW can get some stuff. So right. Like what we just saw, but look how far out they have to zoom. You can see the whole goddamn crowd. That's a t- this already looks dangerous with him just on the top rope. And he's not even climbing. I was big Bubba there trying to make his way up that uh, he was going to shimmy up that pole and grab those silver dollars or whatever the hell it was in that was in there. And again, why is it a silver? Okay. If you win this, you, you get some silver dollars. Like you just, you shave (laughs) half my head. I look like a fucking goof. He took my beard five days ago, but man, I got to get these $12 down. Well, you, you could have just as well put a couple of Big Macs in a sock and hung that off the top rope. It would have had this would have been equally as motivating, I think. I think a few years ago, Impact had one of those, and it was actually seven dollars at the top. Just Canadian money. Yeah, Dixie wanted it. Dixie wanted to put a ten dollar bill in there, but <laughs> yeah, her, her mom wouldn't let it happen, so they cut it down to seven. Just, yeah, to save money, you had to save money wherever you could in TNA. So instead of a ten dollar bill, they put in seven dollars full of coins they found. You know the old uh, the line forward. about Indies. What is the line about Indies? A hot. I got paid in hot dogs and handshakes. There well, you go. can you imagine like, all right, guys, this is going to be a, a shoot. We got a, a sack of hot dogs. Up there. <laughs> this is so dumb. This is horrible. Damn it. Kevin, we got to get Sullivan on it. We got to get Sullivan on to ask him what he was thinking here. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly I had nothing to do with it. The fact that I was running the company, I had to approve everything. We all know that I was the boss, but you weren't involved in anything. Kevin Sullivan's fault. Yes. Listen, we had nothing to do with this. I washed my hands of it. It's been well established. If it was a good idea, it was you. And if it was a bad idea, it was, it was Kevin Sullivan's dumbass Kevin Sullivan's fault. Hey, uh, well, something that is great here is, um, the set. I don't know if you paid much attention to the set, but with the sand and the boardwalk and all the, uh, the decorations on the set there, it's really fantastic. And look at Tenta. He's wise enough. Like I can't climb my fat ass up there. I'm just going to unbuckle this son bitch, bring it down. to There you go. See, he's using his Ted. And by the way, as far as giving credit where credit is due, um, I think the idea for the bash at the beach set in, in it becoming such an elaborate thing, a lot of that, uh, credit has to go to Sharon Sadello. Even before I got into management, Sharon, for whatever reason, really loved Bash at the Beach and kind of went all out in terms of marketing it and promoting it with videos and things like that. And uh, I'm pretty sure Sharon was working closely with our set designers at the time. I don't think it would have been David Crockett. It might have been to to really come up with a very cool beach set. So um, despite the fact that you think I take credit for all of the good ideas and none of the bad some of the good ideas belong to other people and the set of bash, bash of the beach was clearly one of them. David Crockett did a phenomenal job as well. And the entire team, I say David Crockett because he was the kind of the, the guy in charge of it all, but there was a lot of really talented people that worked with him as well. So let's, um, let's put over bash at the beach pretty hard here. I, I think your timeline may be a little off because the first bash at the beach Maybe you're thinking of Beach Blast. That's probably it. She was a, big, it. She was a big fan it. of Beach Blast. But this is the third beach uh, bash at the beach. And you and I 
as we see Bubba here taping Tenta to the middle rope. So Tenta's left arm is now taped. His right arm is free. He could just reach over and untape it, but he's not gonna. And now Bubba he's angry. Is- John Tenta right now is one angry 400 pound half ball son of a bitch. He's hot. He wants to kill Jimmy Hart. I don't blame him for that. At that point, I wanted to see his head up on top of that pole. He had so much heat as a manager, that squeaky voice of his, and that ridiculous tie-dye jacket of his, which he still wears to this day. Jimmy was a heat seeker, man. He knew how to get heat. We got to get him at an 83 weeks tie-dye jacket. We should get him on 83 weeks podcast sometime as a guest. Oh man, you talk about stories, but here's a, here's the thing though. Jimmy won't talk publicly in no. any way negatively about anybody. Nope. Never Jimmy, has never will. Whether it's somebody that he actually despises or not, you cannot get him to utter one negative word about anybody publicly. Now, privately, if you get him in a mood and Jimmy doesn't drink, he doesn't partake in any extracurricular activities that would be mood or mind altering. But man, when you get Jimmy on a roll, when there's not a lot of people around or people that he's comfortable with, Oh, he can light it up. I've never he's got seen that. stories, brother. He's been around forever. Oh my gosh. The scissors were out. He was coming to cut Tenta's hair. Tenta stole the scissors, cut himself free. And now he's decided I'm going to cut these damn straps. I'm getting this damn pole down. I want now, if you're watching off. this, you will notice if you watch closely that the scissors that Bubba was going to cut Tenta's hair with were actually surgical scissors meant to remove tape, not cut hair. But who's picking shit apart at this point? Not me. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all of those terms. Your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO learn about these investment products and more at investor.gov your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips before you invest investor.gov. So let me, uh, continue pumping up bash at the beach. This, I think you could argue, you know, for years and years, wrestling fans said, oh, well, Starcade was WCW's biggest show. And you on 83 weeks here, you've said, nope, it was Halloween havoc. I think you could argue it was bash at the beach. Let me make my case. The very first bash at the beach is the first time Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair wrestled on pay-per-view. We've covered that show in the archives. Go check it out at 83 weeks.com as we see Jimmy Hart do his best. Uh, fireman stripper. I don't know. He's climbing the pole boys and girls. I can't believe this is real, but there he goes. And look at and him. what is Jimmy right now? He's probably about 60 years old doing this <laughs> and he's not the most athletic, you know, look how dangerous this is. Like. If he falls right now, this is a disaster. Yeah. If that pole gives way, if Jimmy just loses grip, if he hits the ground, he's, uh, he's probably not going to be much of a rebound. And there he is making the he's most working of that it. pole. He's working that pole like a true stripper. He's done that before. Uh-huh. Have you been to his house? No. 
He's got one of those gimmicks down in his family room. Wait a minute. Got some mirrors there. You might, you're kidding, right? I've heard it. It's rumor and innuendo. Oh, thank you. I think I read it in a dirt sheet. <sighs> Must be true. I bought it for just a minute. The idea that he was a big, uh, um, well, you know, connoisseur. No, but if you're a single guy and you live in an area with a lot of young strippers and you want to entertain your friends and whatever on a weekend, why not put up a stripper bowl in your family room? Well, He's Eric, single. Eric, he just shook the load out on his face. And now oh, he's, <laughs> you are horrible. Well, now, <laughs> a couple of silver dollars on each eye. And I guess that's it. Tenta looks like a fucking goof. He's got half a head, but he won the silver dollars, gave them right back. And he's leaving with an empty sock. So ladies and gentlemen, our stakes were an old athletic sock. Now here's a little known fact. You may not know this, Eric, but that sock would go on to become Mr. Socko. I don't think a lot of people realize that, but that sock would go on to have a legendary career headline. A lot of pay-per-views It brushed up against the rock. It won world titles. Wait a minute. You mean that very sock, that very sock was passed down from John Tenta to Mick Foley and then made its debut on WWE TV. When Vince McMahon was in the hospital, come on, we got to dig into that a little bit more. Why the hell would you give somebody a sock? Because I made it up just like you did that stripper in the basement. Bischoff, like Jimmy Hart yet, hopefully, if Eric is listening to this broadcast, Eric, please call in. Let us know if you can what is going on because we have to focus on the match at hand, but we can't help forgetting about what is going on here tonight. Yeah, that's true, Tony. And when you get this far into a game, when you're this far into a match, or you're this far into an event, and then butterflies are taking over, you just want to get it over with. You want to get out and get after it. Our three guys are ready. The third guy, Bobby, as you know, you might not know. Ask Woody who the third guy is, the guy that worked for you. We need to find out, and, and sooner or later, we got, we got to find out. They got to deal their hand. Well, we I've, I've asked everybody. I've asked people that don't even know anything about wrestling. Nobody knows who the third man is. No one's talking. No one's saying anything. It smells funny to me. By 10 o'clock Eastern time tonight, we will have found out in the history of our sport as we know it for many, many years may have changed. With that, we go to Mean Gene Oakland. Gene? Again, gentlemen, I thank you very much. It is very tense back here in the locker room area coming up tonight. A match that uh, many have labeled as a hostile takeover match. These outsiders are going to have a third man joining them. They're going to be facing the macho man, Randy Savage. Former tag team champions, they've held numerous titles. Of course, the current reigning uh, WCW World Television champ, the total package, Lex Luger Sting. Guys, I don't think I've addressed this. I'm assuming everybody is in the building right now, macho. And uh, who do you think their third man is going to be? You know what? I don't care. I know it's going to be somebody. So that's really all that matters to me. Because he's going to get hurt just like those other guys are going to get hurt. This is equal opportunity, equal war type situation. We're going to take him out, are we not? Lex Luger, it's going to be very, very difficult to prepare when you don't know who this third man is. That's very true, Gene, but we are prepared. You know, we've waited a long time for this. They've made a lot of noise, haven't they? A lot of loud noise. They've come in and talking trash. The WCW was an honor and privilege to be chosen for this team. I speak on behalf of all of us, and we will represent it well. We will represent it to the best of our abilities. And you know what, guys? 
What is it? You know what point needs to be made here? Make the point, what is it? Throwing announcers through stages. You've talked real loud, but now actions speak louder than words. Isn't that right, Stinger? You know what the unknown does, Mean Gene? The unknown gives me a real dry mouth. The unknown makes me a nervous wreck. The unknown puts chills right up and down my spine. I like that. That's good. The unknown gives me goosebumps all over my body. And you know something? It does the same thing to the macho man. It does the same thing to the total package. We are a team and we are pumped and ready. We're up for this one. You guys I better get it. Let's just go do it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We are the total package. Lex Luger, Sting, and the Macho Man. Those three men collectively tonight to represent World Championship Wrestling in this gigantic hostile takeover match. I can never recall a match of this magnitude. It is big. Dude, Mean Gene makes everything feel like an occasion, doesn't he? He sure did. He, he, he was the best. I don't think anybody will ever come close to mean gene. He, he had, you know, first of all, he had a great voice. He had a great presentation, but he listened. He knew what needed to be said. He knew the points that needed to be made. Even if they weren't on the script, his instinct, his experience allowed him to listen to what was being said and fill in the blanks in case the talent didn't hit the points in case the talent didn't make a clean transition Gene knew how to get the best out of everybody he worked with, which is why he had such an amazing career. By the way, DDP, we've had a lot of fun with on this show. We sort of poke fun at when he's trying every sort of gimmick there is. I mean, it looks like he's gimmicks are us. He's went down to the dollar store and spent his whole paycheck for his, uh, his whole ensemble here, but he did something kind of cool walking to the ring. This is a taped fist match. So he walks out with a roll of tape and put tape over the lens of the camera. I thought that was a cool deal. Yeah, he could improvise. He went with it. Actually, he probably been thinking about that for weeks. Yeah. And you know what? It worked. <laughs> I liked it. By the way, in case you were wondering, the Tenta match got a star and a quarter, which I thought. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I wouldn't have been able to sleep tonight had I not known that. Uh, Dave Meltzer, if I don't hear, if I don't, if I can't get Dave Meltzer's opinion on something, I have a hard time sleeping. By the way, here's from the uh, write-up in the observer. Heenan said he was hitting him in the gills. Shivani responded. He didn't have gills and Heenan goes, I know he's not a fish, which is pretty good. By the way, a 55 year old Jimmy Hart, as he was climbing the pole there, 55 years old, climbing the pole, uh, uh I know a lady like that. Uh, so starring three quarters is what this one's going to get <laughs> diamond Dallas page and Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. Uh, I feel bad because, uh, we've had some fun interactions, uh, here on our little band of misfits with for the heat.com, which you can catch every Wednesday night at for the our real radio show. Um, but literally a week before that, I, uh, said Duggan here in 96 was like day old bread. And now I feel bad because, uh, well, he's been helpful to the show. So I guess I need to walk that back a little bit, but it is the way I felt super over performer, hell of a guy. That's what everybody says. You included, I've never had the good fortune of meeting him, but this doesn't exactly fit with the new NWO look and feel, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. And it's funny. Cause Jim and I talked a lot 
you know, and I, I can't overemphasize how little Jim and I got to know each other when he worked for WCW. We just never really had those um, opportunities to get to know each other. And as you know, we sat down over, um, Jim doesn't drink anymore. He's really cognizant of his health and he's in great shape. He's done a great job turning his life around. But I, on the other hand, he had a couple cocktails and to sit down and listen, you know, to him and how he started, where he started, um, the people that he worked with his, you know, he, listening to him, tell me stories about him and Andre, the giant working together, being on the road together. One of the greatest storytellers I've been around and that's saying something because we had the privilege of being around some great wrestling storytellers. Jim is right there. And Jim, look, he knew he, he wasn't, you know, he was, he was a brawler. That's what he was hired to do. He was a, Jim was a badass when he broke into the, to the business. I mean, you talk about the Kurt angles, you talk about, you know, the, you know, the tough guys in wrestling. Um, Jim was one of them. He, 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 you know, people don't talk about it a lot, but that's what he was brought in for. He was brought in to be that badass, you know, former NFL football player. Um, and he never tried to pretend he was anything other than what he was. And he was good. Look at this. This is outstanding work by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Very inventive offense. Yes. He's got basically he's got Diamond Dallas Page kind of trapped in the middle of the ropes. And he's punching him with one hand. Page flies back and he springs back to take another punch. I have never seen that before. Hacksaw Jim Duggan may have created some of the most inventive, inventive offenses I've seen in a long time here. Yeah, Duggan on the outside, going to bring uh, DDP back around from a um, a branding standpoint. We talked a little bit about the set, and I still want to talk about Bash at the Beach and it being the big show. I feel like we keep getting sidetracked on that conversation. But I'm noticing now there's no logo on the mat, on the canvas. There's no logo on the skirts. There's no logo on the mats. There's no real branding here. There's nothing on the turnbuckles. Why? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not anti the look, but this is the epitome of less is more. There's literally nothing. Was that not important yet? Do you think? Well, we just didn't have the sponsors yet. Now we had had slim Jim obviously with Randy, but we had played that uh, sponsorship out and delivered and over-delivered, uh, on the slim Jim sponsorship. So other than slim Jim, we just didn't have anybody yet that was interested in sponsoring a pay-per-view. I just mean, it's interesting. There's no WC. There's not even a WCW logo, you that, know, in the ring. That's so. what I'm getting to. I, I don't necessarily mean there's no sponsorship. I just mean nothing says bash at the beach. The ring skirt doesn't say bash at the beach. The turnbuckles don't say WCW. There's literally nothing there. Huh? And the truth is, I don't know why. So I'm going to have to do a little digging on that. It is interesting though, to think, you know, just how much all of this has changed, but let's talk about bash at the beach. Uh, you know, we set the stage with 94, the biggest show ever for WCW, such an important moment in WCW history. We've covered it in our archives at 83 weeks.com, but it's the first pay-per-view meeting with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. I mean, and that was the fantasy matchup throughout the eighties, all the magazines, you know, would talk about wh who would win Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. It's the face of the NWA versus the face of the WWF. And it finally happened in 94. It set a record for WCW shattered every expectation. And then the follow-up effort is something totally different. You did bash at the beach 95 on an actual beach, not a set that looked like a beach, 
but an actual beach. Uh, the first one was in Florida, uh, in Orlando. Of course we know this one is in Daytona beach, but the middle one is in California on the beach and there's no gate. You just invited fans. It's almost like a, a hog wild without the motorcycles. Right. And it was all about branding brother. It was about making these pay-per-views feel different than what you normally see on television, which is something that I think, uh, producers and promoters around the world could take note of, you know, when you, you, you want to, you want to build a tent pole term that's used often in the entertainment industry. But if you want to build a tent pole event, like a WrestleMania, like a King of the ring, do something different, do something you don't normally see and only do it once a year. Right. For that specific pay-per-view. And that's what you get. This was a good match, by the way, you can say what you want about, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He had a hell of a match here. He worked his ass off. And, and not- now he's getting his heat back. That's awesome. This episode is sponsored by blue chew. Say it with us. Blue chew. You see blue chews making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. Blue Chew is an online prescription service. So what's that mean to you? It means no more visits to the doctor's office, no more awkward conversations, and best of all, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Oh yeah, it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now the process is simple. You'll just sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problems here. Blue Chew's Seldenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and they prepare and ship direct. So it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive your first month for free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, so Diamond Dallas Page successful, but here comes the old tape fist. Right now. And down goes Frazier. What a cool career DDP has really had. And and still the journey he's on to this day is fascinating. He is doing so well. I'm so proud of him. And he's so passionate about what he does. And he helps a lot of people from all walks of life, not just people that he knows and friends of his, but the things he's able to do to help people, you know, lose weight, get healthy, get mobile after they haven't been for so many decades in some cases is, uh, it's phenomenal. Really. It's maybe the best, if not the best, it's top three best second act in wrestling. I mean, I, 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 I don't, who's done better. I mean, you, no, could, obviously you could argue rock the rock financially and yeah. John Cena and people are sure, sure. Financially in terms of what they have achieved and all that. Yes. But in terms of how you've been able to take your notoriety and your fame and all the things that you've 
you know, achieved over the years and then convert that into a way to help people improve their own lives. I put them right at the top of the list. Boy, look at the the height difference between Kevin Sullivan and the giant. Let's take a listen to what Mean Gene's saying here. Respect. Things don't look real good for you personally. I don't think they're going to let this guy even get in the ring. They're going to double team you if they get a shot. They're going to double team me. They can bring all four horsemen out. Let me tell you something. This is home court advantage, and there's something burning in my gut. You think I'm the weak link? Well, ask the giant, and he'll tell you exactly what I am. Giant, uh, be honest with this. Do you consider the Taskmaster the weak link of the Dungeon of Doom? I never and once in my life would ever consider the Taskmaster as a weak link. He is the backbone of the Dungeon of Doom. He is the one that brought the Giant to WCW to reclaim my birthright and put an end to all that Hulkamania stuff. And you talk about the horsemen, the elite, this, that, and the other. They're not the elite. I am the world heavyweight champion. I always will be. I am the elite. You come after the Taskmaster, you come after Kevin Sullivan in his hometown, his home court. <laughs> Looks like we're going to have some horse stew later. <laughs> All right, uh, they are thoroughbreds. Don't make no mistake about that, Jimmy Hart. The best of the horsemen go against the best of the dungeon. We'll see who wins. <laughs> Can you do me a favor? I don't want to offend you, but would you brush your teeth? You know, Stop it with me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the bash at the beach, absolutely electrifying. Standing by my good friend and broadcast colleague, Lee Marshall. Take it away, Lee. Thank you very much, Mean Gene. Standing here with two of the four horsemen, the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. I'm going to lay out of this one. Man, how great was the comment there? At the very end for Mean Gene. Will you do me a favor? Will you brush your teeth? <laughs> Lee was good too, though. You know, Lee Marshall had, a, you know, you, you probably know this, but a little bit of wrestling trivia for people who are new to the show. Um, Lee Marshall, for the longest time, was Tony the Tiger. He was that voice for Tony the Tiger. Great. Who's the best? Good guy. Uh, Arn's uh, telling some stories here. For Sullivan, we're looking at this thing as a vehicle to get the world title back where it belongs. Now, I've been walking these streets of Daytona Beach for a couple of days, and all I'm hearing is, boy, what a beating Kevin Sullivan's going to give you. He stuck his hand out to you in friendship. Uh, you got two, two sort of heel things happening here. The Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen. Is there a baby face in that crew? Not really. <clears throat> I think in a fan's mind, clearly the Four Horsemen, because of the legacy that they had. Um, I, I guess if there were, if there was a, a baby face team there, uh, it would definitely be the Horsemen. By the way, before we skip it over or skip over it, uh, we just saw Kevin Sullivan. You know, in that promo, Kevin Sullivan was shredded, man. Yes, he was. Kevin Sullivan had abs. That was pretty amazing. He got himself ready for this show. He was ready for it, man. I, uh, I'm just blown away by what we're seeing on this card. Let's recap where we are so far. Ray and Ray and psychosis, arguably one of the best matches ever. Then Tenta and big Bubba Rogers in a silver dollar pole match. And then a tape fist match with DDP and Jim Duggan, 
And now it's a double dog collar match with the nasty boys and public enemy. This is the buffet you've been talking about, but it is wrought with gimmicks and you hate gimmick matches. It's probably one of the reasons I hate gimmicks as much as I do is we did so many of them. I just can't stand looking. It's like when you, did you ever drink mad dog 2020? Nope. Mad Dog 2020 is a distilled wine that was real popular when I first went to college back in 1973. And it was popular amongst college students because number one, it was was cheaper than gas. So you could get a gallon of it for, you know, about 89 cents, but it would tear you up. I actually had too much Mad Dog 2020 one night, got a little hammered. And in the middle of January, passed out in a snowbank on a college campus. And fortunately I woke up about one o'clock in the morning before I froze to death and have not even walked by a bottle of mad dog 2020 in a liquor store since that time. And it's the same thing. It's the same feeling I have about gimmick matches, the way I feel about mad dog 2020. I got so sick on it that I just can't stomach even seeing it again. So I think it's because of some of the silly ass matches that I produced and promoted and allowed to happen that makes me feel as strongly as I do about nonsensical gimmick matches. I love the nasty boys, guilty pleasure of mine. We talk about that a lot here on 83 weeks, but we haven't spent a ton of time talking about public enemy. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Rocco rock and Johnny grunge. You know, they came to WCW from ECW with a bit of a reputation. And I was a little bit concerned about that. Nothing could have been farther from the truth. They were very, very easy to work with. I I probably spent more time talking uh, to Rocco uh, than I did with Johnny Grange. But man, very intelligent guys, um, very open-minded, creative, and really super professional guys. I was actually surprised how easy they were to work with. And that's just easy. They were a joy to work with because of that. And uh, never had any issues with either one of them. And I think both of them are somewhat underrated. Now, Rocco Rock, I, th- I think he had a box. He was a boxer at one point, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just working off memory here. I don't have notes. But, I mean, he was an athlete. He, he wasn't just a tough guy or, you know, a bouncer that decided to become a professional wrestler. He was a legitimate athlete, and a talented guy. I love the idea of a dog collar match, and I like the idea that there's two in the, in, in the match here. And usually we've seen this in a singles match, but, you know. This seems Why do like you a, like it? What is it about a dog collar match that appeals to you? Why do you like them? it? Feels like a fun visual, you know. Hey, there's no escape. There's no running away. I get that. I mean, I I, I kind of like that almost better than actually. Yeah, I like it better than a cage match. I know the idea of the cage match is oh nobody's going to interfere and you can't escape. I got you now. But dude, a chain like if you really hated somebody you, in real life, if you hated somebody. Being chained to them would be like a blessing and a curse. I, I, you know, the worst thing ever, unless you could beat their ass and then maybe it's better. And how about the little split view here? Little world war three style action. Yeah. I don't dig it. I don't dig it. I know why we did it. And it was an experiment of sorts, but, um, eh, well, but it, it feels like, oh, it's twice the action. That's what it feels like. 
but it's smaller. Yes. And to me, it takes away from the visual of it. But going back to what you were talking talking about with a dog collar match, and, and I can't believe I'm hearing myself actually say this publicly, but if you're going to do a gimmick match, I guess to your point, I'd never really thought about it before. This does make a lot of sense. It is more interesting than a cage match simply because you have more room to work. You have more inventive. Of course you can't have a match without a fucking garbage can. Can you, but you have more, you have more versatility. You have more creative and inventive ways to do more things that you don't typically see. So for that reason alone, I would, uh, I would set my natural disdain aside for gimmick matches and, and agree with you that this is, uh, except for the fact that we're using a fucking garbage can lid, um, a pretty interesting matchup. What is it about garbage can? I guess because they're big and they're loud, but anybody yes. that's ever picked up a garbage can lid knows you can't hurt anybody with it. Well, but it makes a big sound. So it's popping a balloon, but it doesn't make sense. Oh, now that you've said that somewhere, Mance Warner is going to pop balloons on a guy's head this weekend at GCW. <laughs> See th this shot here. If you're not watching along with us, we're looking at another one of those double shots within the screen. Um, I get it. Like, Oh, Brian knobs just hammered Johnny grunge with a blow up shark. Devastating move. By Brian Knobs. If that doesn't make you believe, nothing will. Meltzer would write, um, there were hard shots with garbage cans and lids, chair shots, surfboards, etc. It's so funny to surf hard shots with garbage can lids. Surfboards, etc. Spoken like somebody that's never been hit by a garbage can lid for sure. You'd really like to hit Dave Meltzer with a garbage can lid, wouldn't you? No, I don't no, I like to I, I like to have fun, you know shredding Dave Meltzer because he's one of the few people on this earth that deserves it. Um, and it's entertaining for me, but uh, no, I have no personal, you know, he's not somebody I want to beat up. Let's put it that way. There's nobody out there. I want to beat up. So, and he's not one of the, he's not an exception. About 15 to 20 years ago that I wouldn't have said that. You got any good, uh, knobs and sag stories. Huh? <laughs> That None can, that I'm going to tell. I was going to say that you can share. None that I am going to tell. Yes, I do. And maybe someday we'll get together and I'll have a cocktail or two with you and you can loosen me up and I'll let some of them fly, but not here, not now. Uh, this is by no means a family show, but th this would, that the stories I have about these two would take it way over the edge. Ringside rant has a question. He says, was there any other pay-per-view or event that was pitched for this to happen other than bash at the beach, or was this always the right time and right place for the third man to be introduced? Oh my God. No, this, you know, you've heard me say this a thousand times. If you've been listening to the show for the last couple of years, timing is everything and the timing, you know, just think back about it. The timing of Scott Hall becoming available and Kevin Nash coming available and the idea of the NWO, the ideation, how about that one, ideation of the concept, um, all of it happened almost spontaneously. It, it just all came together at the right time. And for all of those pieces of the puzzle to kind of come together at the right time, right around the time of one of the biggest pay-per-views 
you know, on WCW schedule could not have been more perfect. So there, no, there was no discussion about, well, maybe we should hold off till, you know, fall brawl, or maybe we should hold off to Halloween. Well, hang on now, hang on now, hang on now. That's not really what he's asking. Oh, uh, let me, let me be clear. I have taken you to task and you educated me and corrected me when I challenged that you should not have had Goldberg beat Hogan on nitro, that it should have been reserved for a pay-per-view. And you were very clear in reminding me, brother, we weren't a wrestling promotion. We were a TV company. We're owned by a television station. We're going to put the big shit on TV because that's what they want. And I totally got it. That clicked for me. Whereas for years and years, people said, oh, that's stupid. You should have never look at all the revenue they lost. The question I have is, couldn't you apply that same logic here? Should Hulk Hogan have. have turned heel on nitro? And if he would have, what would it have done? I mean, you're already winning the ratings war, but would it have been an even bigger impact if it happened on nitro? I, that's a good, that's a good point. And the answer is sure. It would have more people would have seen it. It would have had a bigger impact. Keep in mind though, by the time Hogan beat Goldberg on nitro, WCW was, had been. For a couple of years on very stable, profitable ground to the tune of 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in profits on 250 to 350 million dollars of revenue over the course of each of those years. Um, by the time we got to Hogan and Goldberg, we were in a different situation. Um, ratings were a little harder to come by, we weren't as comfortable at that time as we were, um, in 97, <clears throat> late 96, early 97. But at this point in 96, look, being profitable was still a very, very new thing in WCW. And my goal was to be as profitable as possible. So I think there was just a different, in different situations that, um, made me decide that go full boat, go Hogan Goldberg on nitro, because we did need to kind of recover from some of the rating slides that we had been experiencing. Whereas in 96, we didn't 96 was all about money. It was about ratings, but we were getting them. And it, I didn't feel the need to kind of go over the top on ratings uh, at that point. Cause we were comfortably ahead or confidently ahead, if nothing else. Um, so no, it was, it was a strategic choice, but 96 mid 96, I was still all about the money, man. That was brand new to us. All right, Conrad, let's take a, a quick timeout to talk about this past weekend. You know, we love our, our supporters, our family over at AdFreeShows.com. And this weekend, a cuz came by all the way from Dallas, Texas, from AdFreeShows.com, John Hickson. And he came in just to hang out here in Cody, Wyoming, visit a little, grill a little, go to the rodeo, have a beer or two. It was a great weekend. Love meeting John. And I was really excited to, uh, to get on the RecTech one more time. And this weekend, we had to keep it a little simple, right? Nothing too exotic, just something easy, quick to prepare, but special. So I went to my local butcher shop, got some great sausages, some Polish sausages, some bratwurst, some smoked lamb bratwurst, all kinds of good stuff, and smoked them on the Rectech, and they turned out outstanding. And I just want to tell you, you know, I have the RT700. That's a flagship model. It comes with a 40-pound pellet hopper, 
that gives users roughly, I don't know, 40 hours of continuous cooking time. So it's really easy to plan ahead. You got over 700 square inches of cooking space. So whether you're cooking for three, four, five, 10, 12, or more, as I have, Rectech can handle it. It's unbelievable. And it has this really cool PID Wi-Fi controller with a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, even dehydrate if that's what you're into, all with the push of a button. And that's why those who know choose Rectech. That's why I love my Rectech. And that remote control PID Wi-Fi controller is unbelievable. Because, brother, I can sit in town in Cody, Wyoming, having a beer, decide, you know what, it's time to get everything cooking. Before I pay for my beer, I can set the temperature in my grill, I can get it started, and by the time I get home, I'm ready to cook. No waste of time. And once I get home, there's temperature probes where you can insert into the meat that you're cooking, and you can monitor the temperature of whatever it is you're cooking from wherever you are anywhere in the world and adjust the temperatures accordingly. And it takes the guesswork out of cooking because when you're grilling, if you want to be a grill god, you've got to be able to control the temperatures at the time of the meat that you're cooking. And when you have the ability to monitor the internal temperature of the meat that you're cooking, you know what that means, Conrad? That means your product is going to come out absolutely perfect every single time. Consistency is what's up, what it's all about, and that's what Rectech delivers. It's an unbelievable grill. It uses wood pellets. You can smoke, like we said. You can bake. You can do almost anything on this grill. It's convenient. It's made of stainless steel. This thing is the Rolls-Royce of grills. It's easier to clean. It, it's an amazing, amazing tool, and that's the way I look at it. I take my grilling very seriously, and that's why I love it. And at Rectech, they brought back old school customer service with an emphasis on making everyone feel like a member of the Rectech family. Rectech offers industry-leading bumper-to-bumper warranties on all the grills, a 30-day money-back guarantee, all factory direct pricing means there's no middleman. You, you are the winner in that situation. All grills ship free. And Rectech is incredibly active on social media with tons of online resources and they go live every day with cooking demonstrations so if you're a beginner you can get your feet wet if you think you're a pro you're going to learn a thing or two just visit rectech.com that's r-e-c-t-e-q.com follow them on social media believe me rectech it's a game changer it's fun to go back and, and sort of fantasy book and talk about what if and what could have been um, let's do another question here. Michael McClanahan wants to know which of the two was in Eric's opinion, more significant to the wrestling business, Hulk Hogan's heel turn here in July of 96, or the Austin three sixteen promo from King of the ring in June of 96. You're biased, but I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Could you rephrase that question briefly for me again? What's more significant? Austin's 316 promo the month prior, June of 96 at King of the Ring, which I kind of forgot those were back to back months, or Hogan's heel turn here in July of 96. I think arguably that's a tough one. You could, or you could go either way, but I'm going Hogan because this is like the unthinkable to me. 
you know, what's that thing about a zebra never changes his stripes, or maybe they say leopard, even though that doesn't make sense. Anyway, uh, you never imagined. I mean, at that time we know Hulk Hogan, I mean, Steve Austin with the benefit of hindsight. Now we know he's going to be a top guy, but it didn't feel like, oh, this mid card guy who just won King of the ring just cut a real cool promo where he sort of mocked John three sixteen and called it Austin three sixteen, And that was a badass promo. He's probably going to be the biggest star in the history of wrestling. Now, nobody thought that right now with the benefit of hindsight, we know, oh, that's where it really got started. But when this happens, it's like. Well, he's the most important, biggest draw, most culturally significant wrestler of all time at this point. And he's always not always, but as long as he's been a top guy, he's been a baby face and he has, you know, stood for the, you know, saying your prayers and taking your vitamins. And now he's a bad guy. The impact on Hogan is second to none. Well, and I think the impact on WCW and the impact in the wrestling world across the board extremely significant, but you know, when I say it's hard to kind of pick one for me, at least is because, and you, you pointed it out correctly that that promo laid the groundwork for Austin for what was going to come months and years afterwards. Right. It happened over a longer period of time, equally, arguably equally as successful in many respects, financially, I don't know, somebody else other than me would have to be able to put, you know, dollar figures to it, but it, it look Austin three sixteen changed the direction of WWE. Austin three sixteen and all the things that Steve Austin brought to the table, the era that came with it, the change in presentation, going after eighteen to forty nine year old males, drinking beer on a ring, all of that stuff changed WWE forever. But it happened over an extended period of time, whereas. With Hulk Hogan turning heel, it was right fucking now. It was over a two-hour and 45-minute or whatever it was show that by the time that show was over, everything had changed that night. Whereas with Austin 316, it was more of an evolutionary process. Man, these guys are beating the shit out of each other. I don't know if you saw a minute ago, but while we were trying to wax poetic about uh, Hogan and significance with Austin and all that, Brian Knobs just fucking waylaid Johnny grunge in the back of the head with that chain. He was aiming for his back, but he missed and hit him in the back <laughs> of the head. Tough guys, all of them, you know, you look at Brian, you know, he is, was, and it's certainly still now, you know, never considered one of the be, uh, best physiques or well conditioned. He's not a body guy. athletes out there, but he could go yeah. and he was tough, tough as nails. All of them were sags and especially sags. He was another Look, guy. He just hit him in the head with the fucking chain, dude. They're beating the shit out of each other with this chain. I think it's called a receipt, right? <laughs> yes. He, he knew he had it coming too. So he just laid there like, go ahead. Get it over with. Mucker father. Boom. Take that. You know, it's, it's wild to see matches like this. When you understand that the general premise of wrestling is let's make it look like it hurts, but not hurt each other at all. And then there's this, ah, let's just go beat the shit out of each other. Too oh, tough. Johnny grunge came off the top rope, hit that table and it didn't break. Somebody forgot to gimmick the table. Yeah. That did not feel good somewhere. Somebody right now is yelling. I am the table. <laughs> 
You have no idea what that reference is, do you? I don't. What does it mean? Have you heard, have you heard of botchamania? No, it's tremendous. And you would love it. Great friend of the show. Matthew, uh, compiles all these different clips of, well, less than awesome moments in wrestling. And he has a running gag whenever someone tries to break a table and it doesn't break. I am the table. And here is Mean Gene with the armed security guards backstage. Let's track it. Boom. Right behind me here. I have security. If either one of these men would have the gall, the unmitigated gall to touch me, I would go right to a lawyer's office. They have done the damage already in World Championship Wrestling. Tony, Dusty, certainly Bobby the Brain Heenan, even you can empathize with what is going through the mind of Eric Bischoff. He's seen these two men. Apparently, anyone and everyone is fair game. Tonight, though, in my opinion, they are going to have their hands full. I was hoping to get one of the outsiders out here for some kind of an idea, some kind of word regarding who their third man is. I mean, we have had speculation in recent weeks on numerous people that could fill that particular position, the third man to join these two big men. Right now, I have this shield here. That will not be the case out of the ring during our main event, the hostile takeover match. The electricity, even back here, is just absolutely so thick you could cut it with the knife. Ladies and gentlemen, you are part of history, history in the making here at the Bash of the Beach. Further thoughts, let's go back to our broadcast team out in the arena. Everybody, I mean, from the start of the show, whether it's Tony Schiavone or it's Bobby Heenan or it's Dusty Rhodes, certainly Mean Gene, everyone has hyped up what a big historic night this is new. I was just about to get into that. I'm glad you brought that up. I think one of the reasons why, you know, we've talked about this from the beginning of the show, it just feels bigger. The energy is palpable. Even watching it 25 years later, the intensity of it all. A big part of the reason for that is nobody knew who the third man was. And if there's ever an example of what I learned from Vern Gagne, I didn't make this shit up. I was just fortunate enough to be mentored in a way by Vern Gagne and, and learned his strong view and belief of, of how wrestling should be produced and presented. Very Tony didn't know. Bobby didn't know. Gene didn't know. None of the talent knew. Well, I should say very few talents knew at this point. Now, I think right around this time of the show, Hogan may have arrived backstage. And then anybody that was backstage probably was smart enough to put two and two together. But up until this night, Nash knew, Hall knew, Randy knew, Sting knew, because I had to keep him as a plan B all the way up until the time Hogan arrived. Um, Sting knew. Luger. Luger knew. So everybody knew. No. Well, they didn't know until, well, Sting did. But, I, you know, Sting, I trusted Sting. Sting, Sting, I, I wasn't worried about Sting, you know, telephone, telegraph, telewrestler. No. You know, he, I wasn't worried that about that with Sting. No. Sure. I'm sure, you know, people did know that I didn't think did. But they didn't know right up until that night. Because I didn't know right up until that night. Right. And certainly the announcers didn't, and the vast majority of the talent didn't. 
now. So let's freeze. And that was the reason it worked. That's why you're feeling the energy that you feel from Tony and Bobby and Gene early on. You know, they didn't know. And there's magic to not knowing as an announcer. When I talk all the time, and I do, I just beat myself to death. I get sick of hearing my own voice sometimes when I talk about this, of wrestling being overproduced. One of the things that is one of the aspects of wrestling that is the most overproduced is the announcers. They don't know. They don't know how to make it feel real anymore. They're too busy being good at what they do. And they're not good at being real. And I don't mean that as a criticism. It's a nature of the evolution of the business. It's not because they don't have the talent or the ability. And in the case of Jim Ross, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's left more talent in restaurants alongside of the road than I'll ever have as a play-by-play announcer. But when you're overproduced because you know too much and you're trying to do too much based on all of the information you have, yeah. you're not bringing that genuine feel that energy that is so contagious to the viewer cruiserweight match here. Dean Malenko, one of my favorites of all time with yep. the highly underrated and very capable disco inferno and a cruiserweight match. This is, this is going to be a good one. I'm anxious to watch this one. Very talented performers. You and I both think the world of uh, both of these guys, specifically Dean Malenko, who I think you could argue was one of the best wrestlers in the world at this point. I, I don't think it's, it's not even arguable. It is a fact. Dean Malenko was the shit. He had everything. He wasn't the greatest promo. Wasn't bad. That wasn't a strong suit, but he worked around that by having this ice man stone, not to rip off Steve Austin, but this stone cold killer approach. When he walked out to the ring, you absolutely believed he was dead serious about what he was about to do. And that's a gift, man. He, he made it work. I, I still, I, I respect Dean Malenko so much, you know, the talent in AEW right now, <clears throat> especially the young talent. And even some of the veterans are blessed and should be grateful every day to Tony Khan for having a guy like Dean Malenko and Arn Anderson and Jake Roberts backstage. Because if you are, if you are open-minded if you're willing to learn, if you're smart enough to know what you don't know, you've got three people around you that can improve your abilities in the ring and improve your career dramatically. If you take the time to listen and understand. And Dean is, in my opinion, one of the best of the three. Let's, uh, let's also mention that on paper, when I first saw, oh man, what's coming up next, Dean Malenko versus disco. And I've told you for years, how much of a fan I am of disco as a character performer, but he's also a very capable wrestler. And I know that, but even then I was like, oh man, Dean versus disco. I kind of wish it was Hoovy or somebody else. And then I actually see the match and I'm like, damn, they're having a hell of a match. Disco is selling for him and bouncing around like crazy. And by the way, Meltzer agreed. They go 12 minutes and four seconds. That's right. A 12 minute disco Inferno match. And it's damn good. Uh, he would even write shockingly. This was the second best match on the show. Malenko was awesome and carrying disco who actually looked like a promising good wrestler in there. The storyline was that disco was actually dropping his flighty mannerisms and came close to winning on numerous occasions. The match did a good job of getting disco over as a serious wrestler when he's focused rather than just being a dancing clown, even though he lost at the end. So he really liked it. And I know that you'll love this last comment from Dave. It was a good Japanese style match. <laughs> what a fucking clown. 
<laughs> he is an ass club. Why do you take issue with Japanese style match? I don't. I love Japanese style matches, but to suggest that this is a Japanese style match. And that's one of the reasons it was so good. Um, I don't know. This is a, this is an American style match. It's not a Japanese style match. You know, I, it's just the things that I take exception to with Dave are his constant incessant need to gain attention and make himself feel more knowledgeable than he really is. That's it. You know, I, you like what you like. Uh, anybody listening to the show, anybody watching wrestling around the world, like what you like, enjoy what you enjoy. And don't let Eric Bischoff, Conrad Thompson, or anybody else, including Dave Meltzer suggest to you that you should be liking something else more. And that's one of the things that Dave does incessantly in, in everything that he covers. He's got a fetish. He's got a need. He's got a deep hole somewhere in his soul that he needs to fill by trying to convince people that he is so much more knowledgeable about a product that he doesn't have any knowledge of other than being a fan. And there's nothing wrong with that until you start to, you know, criticize other people and you make a living out of being critical of other people's work. When in fact, you've never even been near the business. It's okay. To, I have opinions about a lot of things I don't know anything about and it's okay. Cause everybody knows it's just your opinion, but I don't put myself out there as an expert. So it's kind of like me, you know, I, I, I learned how to fly an airplane. I got my instrument rating. It doesn't make me a fucking astronaut. I like when you work right. yourself up and you get lathered up like that. It's fun. Enough. I don't want to get lathered up. I'm in a great mood. I'm grateful to be alive. <laughs> I'm surrounded by amazing, wonderful opportunities, people, and things. So bringing that <laughs> douchebag's name up just kind of ruins it. You just did a Stuart Smalley. Did I? Yes, it was tremendous. Who is he? Oh, God. Who's Stuart Smalley? We're going to have so many fun times together. Do you? Is it someone you work with? Someone I should know? Daily Affirmations. Here you go. Oh, Saturday Night Live. That guy. This is you just now. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself <laughs> up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Yeah, but he doesn't end his shit with a rant like I do. <laughs> There's no foul language in his, but it's very similar. I am blessed with beautiful things and people and opportunity, and I'm happy. God damn it. That's the Eric. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is Saturday Night Live hiring? I could maybe, maybe take that Stu Smalley thing and turn it around and make it kind of current. Well, it's, yeah, it's 30 years ago, but it's worth a stab. Why not? I mean, that shit is so unfunny anymore. I haven't watched it in years, so maybe who knows? I, I record it and watch a weekend update. They'll get some good one-liners in there every once in a while. Yeah. So what we're seeing right now is uh, Dean Malenko having a hell of a match. It's really hard to sort of make fun and have fun with this, but don't worry. We've got Steve Mongo McMichael wrestling Joe Gomez in a negative, uh, half a star match coming up next. I bet you it ruined every, I bet you Steve McMichael and Joe Gomez were just devastated that Dave Meltzer didn't like their match. Did, um, 
prior to this, were you having conversations with Scott and Kevin about whether or not this would work with Hogan or were they just like, no, Kevin, especially, you know, Scott, I mean, we had Scott on the show a couple of weeks ago. Scott was like, he was chill. It was like, dude, you know, Hulk Hogan, he's the shit. If he'll t- I mean, he, he was cool with it. You know, he had that laid back kind of approach to it. He saw the opportunity because Scott's a very smart guy when it comes to the wrestling industry. He knew that it was going to be big. Kevin was really excited, really excited. So no, there was no early on. There was no issues about it later. It would become a little bit challenging because of the different personalities and egos and getting three people who have always kind of been single stars in their own right to work together uh, consistently night after night or week after week. That was a bit of a challenge, but no, going into it, they were thrilled, thrilled. All right, guys. I know I shouldn't get excited about this stuff, but I just can't help it. Uh, over the weekend, I saw a tweet where someone was asking our friends over at retro mania wrestling, if they could add a Conrad character to the video game. And to my surprise, retro mania wrestling quote tweeted it and put one of those like uh, emojis where the dude's sort of like tilting his head to the side and he's got like the thinker pose. And I thought, wait a minute, is this a real possibility? Because growing up as a kid, man, I absolutely loved, and I mean, loved the arcade style wrestling games, you know, like the early nineties, you know, the ones, uh, I don't know that I'm supposed to talk about them, but you know, the ones we're talking about. And I just thought, dude, how cool would that be to not only be able to wrestle with some of your favorite legends, but to do it myself. So I'm going to start a little bit of a low key campaign. I want to be in this game. I think the game is awesome. I've got one. You need one. Wait, you don't have one yet. What's the holdup, man? Retromania wrestling is inspired by that early nineties arcade wrestling action. We all grew up on and they've got an incredible roster with both wrestling legends and the stars from the day. They got the road warriors. They got the innovator of violence, Tommy dreamer. They've got the NWA world champion, Nick Aldis. They've got your friend and mine, Matt Cardona. You've even got the blue world order. There's a story mode, an arcade mode, a singles match, tag matches, six man tags, eight man tags, even the retro rumble. That's my jam. And by the way, it's available everywhere, all over the place. Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Steam, and II Arcade. Dude, there's even a Retromania themed II Arcade cabinet. Check them out at RetromaniaWrestling.com or follow my friends on social media at RetroSoft Studios. That's RetromaniaWrestling.com and follow them at RetroSoft Studios. Maybe tweet them you want a Conrad character. How badass would that be? It's RetromaniaWrestling.com. You're going to love it. Check it out. The, uh, observer would say in between the pay-per-view opener and the angle, it was basically an average pay-per-view show highlighted more by the strongest performance in the career of Tony Schiavone as a play-by-play announcer. Shivani focused the entire show on the main angle and the identity of the third man to the point that the show was largely well-received despite the mediocre nature of much of the show, because the key angle paid off in such a big way. We don't really talk about this a lot here on the show, Eric, but how much do you think Tony really added to the program? I mean, we have a lot of fun with him because he's our friend and we'll say, "Wow, what the fuck is he wearing? And oh, how silly was this? But he really was carrying a lot of water for WCW on this show. He was carrying an ocean water 
for WCW at this point. And again, not to beat it to death, but Tony was excited because it was an exciting event because of the unknown. And it, it manifests in his energy. Yeah. We've both seen Tony. Here's, you know, you got to really watch a lot of Tony to discern the nuance between a highly motivated Tony yeah. and a not so motivated Tony because a not so motivated Tony is still pretty fucking good. Yes. Right. He still does a phenomenal job, but when Tony's actually excited on a personal level, it take it, it goes to another stratosphere. It's a different thing altogether and you can feel it. That's what I keep saying. And I keep trying to find a way to articulate better than I'm capable of doing this is so much about feeling an emotion and creating it. And it seems obvious, right? It's a wrestling match. It's good guys, bad guys. Who's going to win beating the hell out of each other. Clearly, you know, the nature of wrestling is rooted in, in its core in creating the good guy, bad guy, emotion dynamic. But when an event takes on the level of energy and emotion as an event, the event becomes a third character. Not just the matches, not just the people in the matches, but the event itself because of its significance, largely because of the unknown and the anticipation that was built leading up to it. It takes it to a different level and it it becomes uh, you become a method actor, even though you don't know what that is, because you actually believe it and feel it. You're not just going through the motions and doing your job and doing it very, very well. I want to make that clear doing it very, very well, even when you were uninspired. Now, add some inspiration and genuine enthusiasm to the mix. You've got a fucking different animal. And that's what Tony was. That's what everybody was on this show. And, I, you know, I, and again, I'm, I'm not going off on a Dave Meltzer because I can't even have fun beating up on that profoundly stupid person. Oh, but. To suggest that, well, this is a mediocre show. When we just saw the opening match might have been one of the best matches that anybody had ever seen that will probably still hold up according to, to what's his name's, you know, five-star rating or four-star rating scale. It would still hold up today. We're watching a match right now that is a clinic, by the way, for all of you young performers out there who are trying to get yourself over. You are watching a clinic take place right before your very eyes in the middle of the card. So I, I don't get that. You know, I, I don't get it. I just, this was a phenomenal card. Some amazing matches, not all of them, not all of them, but as a whole. Yeah. This is pretty fucking awesome. Dean Malenko victorious. I think that's the first of two WCW cruiserweight titles doing a little talking to the camera. He didn't do a lot of promos, but. I liked when he would approach the camera afterwards and he was the personification of, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick. Yes. He didn't have to say much. He still believed in his character. Yep. He didn't have to get himself over with a microphone because he was so good at getting himself over in the ring. And there are very few people that could do that. Uh, it's going to be a tale of two matches here because next, well, as we said, it's Mongo and Gomez and Meltzer would write McMichael has the attitude and his wife has the look. But it was painful putting two guys who were both so green out there on a pay-per-view and having this go long and expose them big time. Just terrible. So it's six How long minutes. Did this match go, Conrad, do you know? Six minutes and forty-four seconds, and there are 
going to be some hilarious moments in the match where the guys are doing their best and it's just not clicking. Well, six minutes is not a long match. Gomez, we talked about this last week. Great look on this cat, man. He could have been a movie star. Had a great look. He was dead serious here too. He's doing a little bit of hand hand grabbing here and shaking hands with the fans, but he looks intense. He looks serious. He's probably thinking, oh my God, Mongo is going to kill me. <laughs> Give everybody your time code, Eric. Oh, I'm probably ahead of everybody here. I'm at uh, 124.09. Where should I be? I'm going to, I'm going to catch up to you. I want to, I want to watch it exactly with you. Where are you now? I am 124.25. Okay, good. We're, we're in sync. Oh man. Look, they got my dog. Deborah has my dog in her hand. Didn't realize that. That ginger was you have great my... dogs, by the way. I love your dogs. Yeah. The spice girls, ginger and baby. And they love me. I love coming to your house. Your dogs love me. Oh man. They just want to snuggle up. I never imagined I would have two little, um, I think my, my buddy calls them, uh, old rich white lady dogs, <laughs> but that's what Megan picked. So I have that now. Well, I mean, for a couple of weeks, your dog, I don't know which one of them would crawl up on the back of your chair and kind of sit behind you. Look like you were wearing a poodle hat. Yeah, that's baby. She'll what still do it. That? Uh, well, we don't normally let them run free when I'm doing pods. We'll put them up. So they're not barking at strangers or whatever. Uh, but occasionally one will just slip out and here we go. Speaking of slipping out, Deborah's going to slip out and we're going to watch a clinic here with Joe Gomez and, uh, and Mongo. And normally I watch the screen or I watch the video about half screen and I have the notes full. I'm going to go ahead and reverse course here. We're going to blow this baby up. I got to soak all this Mongo goodness in here, by the way, team Mongo is still available on GoFundMe. He's in the fight for his life. Uh, he's battling ALS and every dollar counts. So if you can uh, help a brother out, please consider doing so Gomez still a friend of his recently visited him in Chicago and They've been fast friends for all these, all these years. And as you established a couple of weeks ago, Gomez was quite the entrepreneur in real life, tons of different businesses. And that's still the case to this day. He used to have a bar in Ybor city called cherries. That was just magnificent, a fun place to go after the show when we were in the Tampa area. Now, so far, I'm seeing a great match here between these two guys. Steve Mongo McMichael busted open, I believe, from a chop attempt by Joe Gomez. Collar and elbow hookup in the center of the ring. Gomez back into the corner. Mongo getting the call to break, but decides to lay in a chop instead in true horseman style. Shoulder into the midsection. Gomez doubled over. Gomez in trouble here as Joe Gomez on the receiving end of the Super Bowl champion, Steve Mongo McMichael's offense, Randy Anderson here, having a real tough time getting these guys out of the corner. I don't think Gomez really wants to go out because he is getting his ass whipped. Now, Gomez fires back. <laughs> Steve McMichael says, uh-uh, brother, I'm going to rake your eyes. I learned that from Ric Flair. Grabs the back of Gomez's head. Gomez now blocks it, brings his leg up, middle turnbuckle, reverses it. And now Steve Mongo McMichael getting his head bounced into the turnbuckle, but mule kicks Gomez right in the fucking balls. 
and Gomez is down. Gomez selling like he is about ready to die. A couple big boots there to the shoulder. Mongo McMichael back in control. Randy Anderson calling for the break is Mongo choking, choking Joe, uh, Joe Gomez on that bottom ring rope. Now we have a little bit of a break in the action. Things are getting back under control. What's Mongo going to do? Oh, that was a weak-ass kick that by was Mongo terrible. McMichael in a ribcage. That just goes to show you, indeed, how close a friend Steve Mongo McMichael was with Joe Gomez because that kick couldn't have cracked an egg. Steve Mongo McMichael up now. Oh, sidewalk slam. Oh, no, across the knee. And Gomez is selling like a hooker in church. And there's a good look at Mrs. Mongo, Deborah McMichael, and her cute little dog. I've heard of sweating like a whore in church. I've never heard of selling like one. And I don't even want to imagine the visual. Mm. Well, man, I'll tell you, this is not as bad as it was made out to be. I think, no, of course, nothing is as bad as, you know, Dave Meltzer makes it out to be. This is so far a decent, not a great, a decent mid card match with two. Well, one in particular is Steve Monko McMichael known all over the United States, a Chicago bear super bowl champion. One of the most decorated, highly thought of and well-respected super bowl champions in Chicago history. So yeah, it was a good match, not a great match, a good match. Both participants putting in the work here. Yes, they were green, but did a much better job wrestling than Dave Meltzer does with grammar. And now you've got Steve Michael, Steve Mungo McMichael has got a great sleeper hold on Joe Gomez. Gomez goes down. Oh, boom. Down goes McMichael. Down goes McMichael. My dog's going ape shit here because I'm yelling. She doesn't understand what I'm pissed off about. <laughs> it's all right, Nikki. It's all right. I'm calling a match. I haven't done this in years. It's kind of fun. I'm digging it. It's pretty crazy to, uh, Think about how different life is. We talk about time all the time on this show, but our referee is, uh, no longer with us. Sadly passed away from cancer. And now Mongo's in the fight for his life with ALS. Gomez is totally out of the business and well, he looks a little different. Uh, Deborah and Steve he's totally out of this business, but he's not totally out of business. Oh no. He's in business. <laughs> doing well, he's doing just fine. Uh, and then Deborah has now split from Steve. I'm sure the dog's no longer with us, but Deborah finally graduated uh, from the university of Alabama. And I think she's relocated to Chicago, believe it or not. Uh, so Tuscaloosa gal done did well. Yeah. She went from Steve Mongo McMichael to stone cold, Steve Austin. That didn't work out. Got a degree in something. What'd she get her degree in? Do you know, I think criminal justice or something like that. Oh, that's interesting. Can you imagine getting arrested by Deborah McMichael? Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think whatever I, her name is at this point, I think the deal is she, fun. she'd get you off. Is the deal. Hey darling, would you mind stepping out of the car? Yeah, yes. Go ahead. Spread your legs. Yeah. Put your hands up behind your back. Would you do that, please? She's such a sweet. She, I mean, really, she's just, she's so nice. She could yell at you and you would feel good about it. Oh yeah. I know exactly the type. That's the Southern woman. She you is know, a Southern woman. You know, down here, uh, when a, when a Southern woman says, bless your heart, that's their way of saying, fuck off. 
<laughs> but it sounds so sweet. It does. They do it. It's kind of like, eh. Okay. I now, know she's telling me to fuck off, but I don't care because it sounds so good. Yeah, she's sweet about it. Great offense here by Joe Gomez, making a comeback in this match. Joe Gomez now looks like he's going to go for an Irish whip off the ropes. No, changes his mind. Big right hand into the jaw. Right now, Joe Gomez is saying to Steve Michael McPeckle, this is the longest six minutes of my fucking life, brother. Sunset flip over the top. And Steve, uh, Steve, uh, okay, now we got it. <laughs> I'm starting. That was a little clumsy, but I think they're getting a little tired here. Now, this is scary. Well, it's actually. just been nonstop motion. This is scary. That's These the are two guys should, that should have not have worked. They're trying to impress is what they're trying to do. Um, they should not have worked that pace. If they would have slowed this match down, um, probably cut the offense by about 30% and make what they did do look more hard hitting. It would have been a much better match visually to watch. But on a scale of one to 10, I'm giving this one a 6.25. An additional 1.25 for nothing but the fucking effort that both men put into it. So there you go. I like that you're giving stars for efforts now. I mean, uh, points. Effort means a lot. So coming up next, uh, as we see a replay, I can't believe there's a replay, but yeah, it was the tombstone. That's Uh, dangerous for two guys. I mean, look, Steve, Steve is strong as a bull. And certainly physically capable of doing it. But when you're gassed and you're tired and you're sweaty, you know, that's a dangerous move that I, I don't like seeing it. You know, there's a few people that can pull it off consistently and do it well and safely, but it's a dangerous one. I don't like it. Well, you're going to like this. The nature boy backstage with me and Jean woman and miss Elizabeth. Let's take a listen. If you're going to constantly do that to me, Ric Flair, you've got to have other things on your mind this evening, an opportunity of gaining yet. As I said earlier, another trophy for your large trophy. You can never have enough trophies in life. Now Mongo did it once. The nature boy will do it twice and then double A and the crippler will take down the devil and the giant and tomorrow night at Nitro. Woo. I will be a man with a u.s championship and a world heavyweight championship mean gene la cucaracha Woo, brother it's bash at the beach and we are here in daytona to style Woo, and profile <laughs> take a look at yes. what's not south of the border brother but right here in daytona la cucaracha elizabeth i'm very Woo. curious uh what Poor kind of a man They say that you're a man with a thousand holds. Tonight, brother, you gotta meet a man that has unlimited knowledge of the greatest sport in the world. Right, Mean Gene? Do you you, you mind if I talk to the ladies? Don't mind at all, I would assume across the street at that big, large uh, hotel overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, uh, Elizabeth, you're gonna be throwing a little party. I know you've got some extra money in your pockets these days. Oh, absolutely. There's gonna be a great big party. Great big, a great big party. Yeah. <laughs> is it it's something that I should be included in? Oh, I think a uh, woman would like that. Woman, is that yes, true? Yes, I would. I'd have Liz tap into that big source of money she's got so we can have a private party, Gene. A p- 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 private party? Yes. Yes. I have no idea what you're talking about. Please. Mean jeans. Don't embarrass me. Make reference to one more point, Macho Man. We know you're focused. 
We know you've got great plans for later tonight, but Macho, never stop looking at that camera. Never stop, stop thinking, wondering, and praying that someday, woo, the lovely one could be back home, because, brother, it's never going to happen. Woo! I think, uh, Ric Flair, you have said it all, as they say in the beer commercial. My friend, not only said it all, done it all. Woo! Conan, grab your best hold, kid. Nature boy, coming your way. Woo! You know, woman, if anything, you know, I've, I've, I've got a commitment elsewhere, but uh, I must say, if anything were to happen, you've been very, very kind to me, very attractive. I just don't particularly care for the people that you hang around with these days. Is that true? Well, I just don't believe that, Gene. I believe you have it bad for me, and you don't care who I hang with or what I do. Isn't that right, darling? Mean Gene, bottom line is, woman makes one more advance towards you, you won't be able to go back to Sarasota. You'll be across the street on the penthouse with the nature bar and the girls partying in Daytona. Woo! All night long. Tell him, Mean Gene, Conan, we're fixing Thank to you. walk that aisle. In addition to wrestling, Woo! we're going to have a little pole vaulting competition here. Let's get you back up to the ring for more action. <laughs> what a promo from... Uh... You know, I don't know that it made any sense. I don't know that it really served a big purpose, but it sure was fun. Uh, mean Jean going private, private party. And then, uh, dropping the microphone. Great stuff. By the way, he was talking about the, uh, the young tag team from AEW. He was really excited to meet them. Uh, they were embryos at this point, but he was still excited. You know, this show really grows through word of mouth. Uh, we don't do any real advertising for our podcast. People just talk about it and then ta-da. People start to subscribe. Word of mouth is the way to go. And we want to thank James up in Hendersonville, Tennessee for suggesting and referring and spreading the word of mouth of SaveWithConrad.com. We hooked him up he left us a five-star review and he had this to say, this process was as easy as it could have been. Jimmy and the team were on top of things from the very beginning. The communication was great and I'll be recommending you all to anyone who asks great job. Thank you, James. We take pride in helping people save money and making it fast and easy. I get it. You're listening to a wrestling podcast and you want to hear wrestling stories. You don't really want to hear mortgage talk, but I feel strongly that saving money is important. You know, if it's not something we worry about now, boy, we are really going to worry about it later. And I want to help you get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30 year loan, now is the time to take years off of your loan. We're routinely helping our listeners cut five, 10, even 15 years off their loan. And you can do this without perfect credit with no money out of pocket. You've just got to start at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you're in a 30 year loan, please let me run the numbers. You'll be glad you did at savewithconrad.com. Uh, and here comes Conan. Got his AAA jacket on like he likes it. Getting Christopher Daniels vibes there. And there he is U S champ. He's got the uh, second version of the U S title around his waist made by Joe Marshall. It's a three plater Dave Penzer. Who's uh, joined us over at adfreeshows.com is our ring announcer. Nick Patrick is the referee and the nature boy will be, uh, coming out next in that iconic pink robe that thousands of Ric Flair fans have a piece of now. Thanks to that 2k game a few years ago. What'd you think of that segment? We just watched. I know you chuckled at the pole vaulting comment at the end, which was a good time. 
I just thought it was insane. It's typical Ric Flair. Nothing makes any sense, but it's entertaining as hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when Rick, when Rick gets emotional, when it, when it's a serious angle and it, it involves personal issues that are relatable to Rick, he can be one of the most serious, legitimate, believable promos in the world. But when he's just out there having fun, it is like a kaleidoscope of nonsense and it's still entertaining. It's just fun. You can tell Flair is taking his time and having fun, not only with the promo, but even the walk to the ring, he's just taking in the sights, playing with folks. It's a big presentation. And, uh, I don't know. There is something about, for lack of a better word, that swagger where you, you quote unquote, own the room and Flair has that down pat here. Even if, as you said, it doesn't really. Like it's not that big of a match. It's a U.S. title match. And on some level, I'm sure, you know, hardcore flair fans are like, wait a minute. Why is he even challenging for the U S title? He's the world champ guy, not the tag. I mean, not the U uh, S champ guy, but still it's a, it's a neat little, uh, a neat little moment in time that he's on the show and wrestling Conan, you know, normally when you, you've got a big WCW paper, you figure he's going to be somewhere near the top, the main event or the co-main or something like that. But this is when Conan was, was fresh to WCW and just to add context, I know we've talked about this before, but he's like the, the, the Hulk Hogan of Mexico. I mean, the biggest star down there and this sort of dream match, you know, who most people believe is the most famous wrestler in Mexico at that point, uh, certainly one of the biggest. And now here's maybe arguably at this point, the, the best wrestler in history. Most people were saying that, that he was the greatest of all time. And this match is going to happen on WCW pay-per-view. It's a big deal. You know? You know, what's interesting. Just watching this now in the opening moments of this match, Ric Flair was off his fucking rocker, you know, during that promo, he was a crazy lunatic fun, jet flying, you know, partying Ric Flair, nothing made any sense. He was laughing, having a great time. But when he got onto the ring, first thing he did was get very, very serious, reach across and shake Conan's hand, pat him on the shoulder. You could tell right then as a performer, he made that transition and it, all of a sudden you went from, wow, crazy Ric Flair. Holy shit. This is going to be a good match with such subtlety. It's real. it's look at it. If you're, if you're listening to this and not watching along, so those little things that someone like Ric Flair knows how to do and when to do it, that allows you to make the transition the way we just saw. It's pretty cool. I love in the promo too, you know, Conan is, is quite a bit younger than Flair. And so he says to him in the promo earlier, Conan, grab your, be- grab your best hold kid. That's good stuff, man. It is a lot of it is subtle, nuanced technique. You got to assume in a match like this, and I'm sure Conan would have no problem with it. It'd be his preference. Flair's calling the match. Huh? Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, Conan still does, even though he's not exactly, you know, Ray Mysterio or Hooventude or whatever, he's, he's got some different offense, uh, that Flair's probably not super familiar with, but they're going to try to fit in what they can, but you could tell right there, even that little exchange, he, he would have said to Conan, Hey, hit me or slap me, whatever. And then he took the big and, bump and, and got again, the- again, this, I'm going to probably point out a lot of nuances and subtleties here that I'm sure everybody else sees, but stand out to me. You look at some of these tight shots that you're seeing of Ric Flair in his eyes. Yes. There was so much like Dean Malenko, Ric Flair's face says it all. He went from kind of taking Conan a little lightly to all of a sudden thinking to himself, 
holy shit, this this is a bigger challenge than I thought it would. He dismissed Conan, you know, you grab your best old kid. Now all of a sudden he's taking Conan much more seriously. And he did it all with the look in his eyes. That's the nuance. That's the sign of a pro. He's getting his opponent over. Imagine that getting your opponent over a relative newcomer in Conan in there with the nature boy, Ric Flair, who would have thought it would matter, but Ric Flair's making you believe it matters. And now he's taking Conan very seriously and getting Conan over probably more than anybody else could at this stage in the process in a match that on paper, Eh, eh. But all of a sudden it's important. I dig it. Something, I love watching the nuance. I love the subtle stuff. So it makes it work. Something we haven't talked about on this show at all is the idea that nobody knows where you are. So of course you're the voice of Monday nitro uh, nitro is now two hours. So hour one is Larry Zabisco and uh, Tony Schiavone and hour two is yourself and Bobby, the brain Heenan. You've been very involved in this angle so far. Scott Hall ran down to talk to you at the announce desk on his first episode. That's also where they laid the challenge with sting and Scott Hall. It's also where Kevin Nash would show up. And then famously at the pay-per-view before this one, you took the big bump from Kevin Nash, the power bomb, which we've covered before. But what we haven't talked about is this idea we don't know where you are, but you're not here. And Tony even said a few minutes ago when we tracked it, Eric, if you're watching at home, the idea that you're kind of running the show and everybody knows that, and we're acknowledging that, but you're not at the show. It's never really fully explained. Was that part of your, your backup plan, your contingency plan that perhaps if Hogan didn't pull the trigger and sting had to do it, maybe you could be the guy who got in his ear and thought, if you can't beat him, join him. Or why, why was that? Where is Eric piece of business drilled on in this episode? There was no real reason behind it. No, no specific reason behind it. The general idea was to create more mystery. Just one more layer of what the fuck it, it no more than that. Just wanted to do something different to get people. This event was designed to kind of take advantage of a little bit of chaos in the unknown, obviously the anticipation that we built. And by having someone who would normally be so obvious, especially because I was running the company, not participated in it was nothing more than uh, an, another layer of what the fuck is going on. Right. This is serious. This is believable. Pretty remarkable. You know what we're seeing here uh, in hindsight, we know what the impact is going to be. By the way, these guys get plenty of time. We're talking over a hell of a match here with Flair and Conan. 15 minutes, 39 seconds. Um, Melzer would say it was a basic Flair match with all the regular spots. At one point, Conan came off the apron with a body block on Flair and nearly wiped out Liz in the process. Woman later gave Conan a tremendous low blow, which was so good it should have been the finish. Instead, Conan recovered from that and they traded at figure fours, and Conan got a few near falls. Liz, uh, finally distracted the referee and woman gave Conan a horrible looking shot with a high heel shoe and Conan sold it as if he had been shot. And then Flair pinned him with his feet on the ropes. The match was good until the finish, which looked really bad. 
considering the style clash, both did well, although it probably isn't surprising because flair has carried a whole lot worse in his career. Two and a half stars. I think there for a while, Conan was sort of upset about this match and he felt like maybe flair wasn't giving him his best and didn't give him the best opportunity to shine. We should probably ask Conan about that one day. I know they've mended fences and everybody's cool, but I think there were some hard feelings coming out of this match. Did you ever hear about that? I never did until just now. And I will ask Conan about that. I'm scheduled to be on his show as a matter of fact, later today. So it'll be fresh in my mind. Um, but I wonder if it was just, you know, Conan was used to a completely different style. So was Ric Flair. Uh, I doubt, I just can't imagine that Ric Flair sandbagged anybody. That's just uh, not Rick. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe that, but I do believe that it was a little bit of a chemistry issue. That would be obvious. And by the way, saying something like, oh, it's a typical Ric Flair match. You know, we've seen him once. You've seen him one. You've seen them all. It's kind of like saying, no, it's typical Tiger Woods golf game. You know, it just goes out and does amazing shit. We've all come. We're, we're, we're used to that. Nothing special here. Nothing to see here. Just, you know, Ric Flair doing amazing shit, getting people over, entertaining the audience like nobody else before him or since. Just that. They, um, we should, we should talk about the context of the main event, you know, I know we're going to actually watch the main event, but the observer write-up says, even though many would argue the Hogan turn was long overdue based on fan reaction, particularly in the Carolinas and in major cities where fans are more oriented towards cheering their favorites, like Ric Flair, as opposed to being programmed response, robots, wrestling fans have been taken for granted, uh, by those who run the business. So timeout right there. When do you remember? there being backlash about Hogan. I mean, when Hogan first comes in, I'm sure the majority of the fans will not that you didn't already have stars. You know what I mean though? You get a superstar right. reaction, whether it's a good guy, bad guy, you love him, you hate him. When some, a, a, a mega star shows up, you can't help, but get excited. Like I'm not a Tom Selleck fan, but if I'm down at the boot pizzeria today and Tom Selleck walks in, it's kind of cool. Holy shit. That's Tom Selleck. My point being once that wears off. Now it's a matter of, Hey, who do you really like? What are you really a fan of? What are you here to see? And slowly, but surely you did start to hear some boos and you started to see people cheer the heels. They weren't into what Hogan was doing. When do you remember that starting to a be a thing and B affect Hogan where he acknowledged it to you? Probably a couple months after the bash at the beach pay-per-view when he wrestled Rick. Because wow. you know, when Hogan first came in, it was a lot of <clears throat> fanfare, marketing, promotion, hoopla, Disney parades, you know, uh, obviously coming right out of the shoot, wrestling Ric Flair at the Bash of the Beach. Oh, by the way, we brought Shaquille O'Neal in when Shaquille O'Neal was, you know, beginning his tra- trajectory, you know, as a superstar in the NBA. It was just so, you know, George Foreman came in and, you know, worked his corner. I mean, there's just so much going on um, around Hulk Hogan initially. But I, I think it was probably three or four months after that, and particularly at center stage in Atlanta, which is, you know, kind of unfair, really, but because that wasn't a real audience. That was a half of them were, you know, people that were just looking for somewhere to get off the street and have a bag of wine. Uh, while they watched a free wrestling show. 
the other half were you know, super diehard, you know, WCW fans that were in center stage, most every television taping. That wasn't really a cross section of America by any stretch of the imagination. But nonetheless, you started getting that reaction to Hulk three or four months after he, he arrived. And then because you would see that reaction in that artificial environment that was not a cross-section America of America, all of a sudden it kind of became how everybody else viewed Hogan. It's kind of like, well, I see everybody else on TV booing him or some people booing him. I don't really feel one way or the other. I guess I'm supposed to, too. It's cool to be anti-Hogan. You know, it's like the Bee Gees, man. The Bee Gees were cranking music, making money, hand over fist. They were cool, filling out stadiums all over the world until another form of music came along. And those performers made it uncool to be a Bee Gees fan. And all of a sudden, a lot of that fan base kind of looked at the Bee Gees as a joke and came over to this new style of music. It's the same thing. It can be. There's a there's an effect. I think it's called the Duvall effect or something like that. I'll have to Google the internet and figure it out. But in pop culture, especially, there is a, a phenomenon that occurs when something gets so popular, it becomes cool to tear it down. Not necessarily because you don't dig it, because it's cool to tear it down. And I think that's started to happen to Hulk. And by the end of 94, going into 95, it was a topic of conversation between you and I. You know, how do we fix this? What do we do? You know, what can we do differently? It's interesting to, uh, to take a look and think about how this all could have been different. Let's pick up the uh, rest of the observer right up here. However, it didn't come without major risks. Hogan's name was still a factor in buy rates, largely uh, believed to be coming from young children who wouldn't be as apt to beg their parents to buy the show to see a heel Hulk Hogan. Whatever revenue WCW merchandise brings in was put at major risk as well, as Hogan was the top item seller, and clearly those numbers should drop substantially. For older and longtime fans, seeing the biggest name in American wrestling do his first turn on a national scale is going to spark interest in a big way particularly short-term WCW <laughs> officials knew that the Hogan turn had to be done right, or it wouldn't be worth the risks. And it could only be done once and long-term plans had to be finalized. There was legit fear basically up until the last day that Hogan would change his mind at the last minute, as he's done in the past, when it came to major angles that would leave him laying or doing jobs that would elevate others to a parody position. A plan B contingency idea was that sting would do a heel turn and join the outsiders largely due to the belief that too many people had speculated about Luger turning, which was the original plan. Oh, or Savage God, turning. oh there you go. But There's fact from Dave Meltzer himself it was never a consideration. Sorry. Or Savage turning, but nobody had speculated on sting turning and the company wanted a shocking finish to the show. So Luger had turned a lot in his career. Good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. So I could see that sting at this point, And I know we're going to get tweets, but he'd never been a heel on a major stage. I'm not saying that he wasn't a heel for bill Watts or he wasn't a heel and okay. Whatever. Since he's been big time, badass surfer sting, the franchise player here for WCW, he hasn't been a bad guy, 
the macho man had been a bad guy. Luger had been a bad guy. Is that why sting was the perfect plan B because he was the perennial babyface? It's not so much because he was a, well, yes and no. Um, it was primarily because sting, you know, other than Ric Flair sting was the face of WCW and, and that's why it took someone had it not been for Hogan, it would take someone that no one would ever have expected to make that turn. And that's why it was Sting. Dave Meltzer couldn't even get this shit right after it was over, for God's sake. It Luger was never, ever, ever part of a conversation. Where that came from, well, I know where it came from. It came from, what's his name? It's, you know, a figment of his imagination, I guess. Like so much of everything else that he writes. But he right. was never part of it. Neither was Randy. Nobody else was. It was Sting and Hogan. Those were the only two. And it was primarily because, you know, no one would have seen Sting coming. Flair is leveraging the conversation. I didn't even, you know, pay attention to some of his. It's hard for me to pay attention to a lot of Dave's comments when you read them to me. But, you know, any suggestion that, you know, merchandise sales was at risk. Fucking silly. There were no merchandise sales. It was insignificant. We made more money off of paper cups. Our percentage of the paper cups that were sold to put Pepsi and beer in than we made off merchandise. So much of that is just so it's a fantasy, you know, whatever. Oh, restricted area. Gene Oakley. Let's, let's wrap in on this. Could be good. Be yourself because I have been, I hate to say this. I've been eavesdropping and behind these doors are the outsiders. And apparently they have been joined by a third man. Let's try to get out here. I must confide in you. This third man's voice sounds somewhat familiar, but it's muffled. And I can't really identify it. It rings uh, in the back of my mind, but who it is, I really don't know. That's the question that people have been asking for a long, long time. Tonight, here at the Bash of the Beach, they are going to find out who will be joining these outsiders to meet. Lex Luger, Sting, and the macho man, Randy Savage. Tony, I said I wanted you to stand by. All of this speculation, everything that we've heard in recent weeks, the chatter, the names that have popped up from time to time, from week to week, from day to day, from hour to hour. Tony, do you have any idea who might be the third man joining the Outsiders tonight? Uh, Gene, I, I don't have an idea. Have you heard? Let me ask you this. You've heard the voice. Give me a, give me a guess. Well, it, it, it's so muffled that I really can't identify it, but it's something that springs in the subconscious. So it's somebody that you obviously... It's somebody that we've seen, yeah. somebody that we've heard before. And Gene, uh, Gene, Bobby yeah. Heenan. Yeah. Offer, we, those, uh, offer the, the, the police there some cash. See if they'll talk. See if they saw who went in the door. Excuse me, see officer. See if they'll crack. Did, did you see anybody... Hey, wait a minute, Heenan. Don't get me involved in one of, one of your scams. Uh, Gene, do you know anything about Eric Bischoff? As not a thing. We have not heard anything. We haven't heard a word, not even a telephone call. I know you've requested a telephone call if he could have seen the broadcast earlier tonight if he's watching the pay-per-view you certainly think he would have got back to us absolutely. but absolutely nothing gene ask him bribe them i'll oh, offer them something. Hey, Heenan, give him a box of donuts off, gene we appreciate your work back there I i'm sorry about that okay I'll get back. i could make him talk all right me and gene oakland talking how about the way they Why added go commercials back go back there and do it here i'm not going anywhere isn't that weird that they added commercials for peacock it is weird so what'd you think of that? Hey, I can hear his voice, but it's a little muffled. Yeah. We could have done without that one. Yeah. In hindsight, like I heard him. It sounds familiar, but I don't know who it is. Well, what the fuck? You either did it. Or you didn't. 
You motherfucker. Take a guess. You. We could have done without that. Didn't add anything to the show. Let's do, put it that way. Do these guys look like uh, wrestlers or what? Can you imagine sitting in a bar with a bunch of your buddies thinking you're hot shit? Being kind of the bar bully. And then these two guys walk in the room. Ha! Pick up your shit and go home. Kevin Sullivan on fire here. Steve Mongo McMichael with a briefcase across the back of the giant. And Jack goes, here's five full. I'm going to chase you backstage, you son of a bitch. But nonetheless, Chris Benoit in now firing away at a svelte. Yes, you heard me correctly as I spit all over my microphone. A svelte. Kevin Sullivan. By the way, this match, uh, is the last match before our main event. They're going to go seven minutes and 59 seconds. This match number eight on the program. Um, so it's two on one. Now the giant legitimately, uh, chased, uh, Mongo backstage. So it's two on one. There he is. He's back. He's coming back and he's bringing you. You tell him I'm coming. I'm bringing hell with, well, not hell, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, baby, you tell him. I can't even do Jimmy Hart. It pisses me off if I can't do a Jimmy Hart impersonation. Real question. Can you do one, Conrad? Give me your best Jimmy Hart. Um, yeah, baby, you got to come on down to my beach shop. You know, I got uh, I got beer in cans. I got 42 TVs. I got the NFL Sunday ticket. Now, I don't eat any of the food. Well, I hear it's real, real good. I mean, we eat, I eat beans and taters every day. Everybody knows that about Jimmy Hart. Mouth of the South, I don't eat meat. I just eat beans and taters. And I prefer to make it myself. I pour that shit right out of a can. You're speaking of cans. I got Bud Light in a can, two for one. NFL Sunday ticket. Come on down. It's worth the drive. You can't have glass on the beach, Conrad. That's why I don't have glass bottles. Because, you know, you step on that shit and it'll cut you up. And you, there's no telling what kind of infection you could get. Hell, there's no idea what's in that ocean. I've never been in it. I lived on the beach my whole life. Never been in it, though. Anyway, beer in cans, two for one, every Sunday during the Sunday ticket. 42 TVs and a couple photocopy pictures, a whole code. Come on down, baby. That's about that as good as I can do. was the most glorious moment. 83 weeks podcast history. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> oh my God. That's all I got. You are a walking wonder. That is amazing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that Lanny Poffo sitting at ringside? No. No, couldn't have been. I don't think. I don't think we saw the same guy. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I said Lanny. I meant Angelo. I was going to say that could be Angelo, but I was like, the only way I don't know if it's Lanny's if it, well, no, 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 I didn't mean Lanny. I meant Angelo. Look, just from the little bit that I saw man, it looked like Angelo Poffo. It's probably, I want to be there when that son of a bitch finally turns heel, Randy. Maybe you can be the top <laughs> baby now. It's bullshit. Hey, um, I want to talk about something a little uncomfortable. As we see Benoit in here with Kevin Sullivan, I can't help but wonder, was there something going on with Chris and, uh, Nancy by this point? Oh, bro. I can't, I can't straighten that timeline out. Um, what started out as a storyline angle turned into real life. I just couldn't tell you where that, where this pay-per-view was within that timeline. Clearly it became obvious to everybody. Just not sure at this point. 
that was uh, a weird, weird situation. One of the reasons why I think anytime I see people using their real, real life marital situations and turning those things into storylines, man, too many of them have gone bad. I just, yeah, bad idea, bad choice. Word to the wise. If you're going to, if you're going to do it, get a prenup. This is uh, an interesting match. I wonder what Dave Meltzer gave this one. No, I really don't. So please don't even tell me. Okay. But you've got some real talents in that ring in Chris Benoit and Arn Anderson. Kevin Sullivan was never considered a ring technician, more of a brawler and a good, in a good character. And giant was still greener than goose shit at this point. So you've got a eclectic group of people involved in this match. But there was a decent story behind it, I guess. So it it worked. And it was just fun watching Sullivan and, and Benoit together because they I think they just enjoyed beating the hell out of each other. It's you gotta it's, get Sullivan on the show. It's fun to watch. Oh, we gotta. Whoa! Nice move there. Chris Benoit had Kevin Sullivan up in the corner, up on the uh, turnbuckles, saw Giant come and jumps off of Kevin Sullivan, basically a cross body block on the Giant from about halfway across the ring. That was like a cat, and that was awesome. Giant just caught him and tossed him like a bag of potatoes. That was pretty cool. Arn Anderson in there now, standing figure four. I think that's what that's called. It's been a long time since I called wrestling. Shit's starting to come back to me. Kind of dig it. Chris Benoit comes in to attack Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan brings up a boot, kicks him into the midsection. Arn Anderson takes his time, going to step outside of the ring as Benoit reverses things and is now hammering away on the side of the face of Kevin Sullivan, saying, I'm going to take your wife. Yes, that's right. You heard me. As I got a handful of your hair and I'm pounding on your head. I'm telling you, I'm going to take your wife. Sullivan that goes, uh-uh, Bucker Father, I'm keeping her. And Jimmy Hart screaming only like Conrad Thompson can. <laughs> Stay on him, baby. Stay on him. He ain't going to take woman from you. Don't you let him. <laughs> that is the favorite part of this podcast. Right I love that. Man, is is it, you know, I don't know how to ask this. It feels like the Giants sort of lost in the shuffle. He's the world champ, but he's in a tag match. He's a part of this terrible Dungeon of Doom concept. And they're taking on not the top horsemen, but two horsemen. It just feels like if we've got a world champ, shouldn't you have a world title shot somewhere on here? It is really bad booking. It was really bad booking. It makes no sense. And it certainly didn't help the giants at all. You know, and again, I, I can go back and go, yeah, but the giant was so young. We needed to surround him with more experienced people. So we don't overexpose them and we keep them strong. Okay. On paper, that kind of makes sense. But in reality, it sucks because the the title suffers as a result of it. And now you've got a world champion that is somewhat handcuffed as a character because you're not focusing on him. You're focusing on so many other things around him that he becomes less significant in the process, despite the fact that he's seven foot tall and 500 pounds or whatever he was. So yeah, it was again, eh, it makes sense on paper, but not in real life. Okay. 
You don't see Arnie Anderson botching move too often, but that kind of was right up there with some really bad suckage. Yeah, it's uh I believe um it was called the worst one on pay-per-view history. Yeah, that was that was Steve McMongo worthy right there. Meltzer says Sorry, Arn, even you are the technician. You are the precision wrestling machine that you were throughout your career. Even an Arnie Anderson can mess something up once in a while. Very I would, rarely, but it's possible. I'd bet money. That's the last monkey flip he did. <laughs> I'm sure he went Sullivan and said, uh, that's it on the monkey flips. No more. Yeah, I don't blame him. And a part of that was probably Kevin's fault too. So got to spread the love a little bit. Check out Sullivan and Benoit taking a walk here, going up on a platform. Looks like the TV platform where the announced team is. Let's Bobby Heenan hated this shit. Let's he track hated it. it. Hated it with a passion. He would get legit pissed off. You said, and the giant is taking task Please take it in the ring. The giant is taking task in the ring. The giant, he's got him in a choke slam. The giant choke slams him. One, two, three, got him. He got him, baby. The giant got him with a choke slam. The giant and the Taskmaster win. That was weird. Yeah. I mean, listen, we've got Sullivan distracted uh, with Benoit. Benoit can't run in to make the save. Choke slam, one, two, three, giant wins. Um, Meltzer would write, they brawled back to the ring where Benoit gave Sullivan a backward suplex off the top rope and kept stomping on him until woman ran in and screamed for Benoit to stop hurting Kevin. No acknowledgement was made about them being married, nor were there any hints dropped. So it's sort of one of those, if you know, you know, type deals. And let's remember, this is the same year where we tried the whole, I respect you Booker man thing, the work shoot of the Brian Pillman situation. Kevin Sullivan was in love with the quote unquote worked shoot here in 96. Was he not? Oh, I don't know if he was in love with it or not. I mean, there was, you know, we, we all embraced the idea that to keep things quiet, kayfabe, if you will, you know, to keep the audience guessing, including the peripheral media, um, to, to make people unsure of what was really going on, including the talent. I've talked obnoxiously about that in the beginning of this podcast about keeping announcers in the dark and doing things that kept them from feeling like they knew exactly what was going to happen was an integral part of the show. So I don't know that Kevin embraced it any more than I did, but by God, we're still talking about the work shoot and the Booker man and the NWO angle. And so many of the things that, people like Meltzer were critical of back then were the things that my God, we're still talking about today and proved to be kind of effective to one degree or another. In this case, largely effective in some cases, less effective, but effective nonetheless. So I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. I think you gotta be a little careful with it, but it certainly helped get Brian Pillman over. Didn't it? And then making documentaries about it for God's sake, 25 years later. Yeah. So there you go. I'm uh, a giant picks Kevin Sullivan up, throws him over his shoulder and then steps over the top ring rope with Kevin. No assist from Kevin Sullivan. 
He's a just a dead bag of meat slung over your shoulder. We're getting an amazing look at Kevin Sullivan's ass as they walk towards the camera, which I could have clearly lived without. And so could the millions of people around the world, at least according to Michael Buffer, watching this on pay-per-view. Here's a replay. And now it's time for our main event, by the way, let's, uh, we know what's coming, but let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the moving and shaking going on. Uh, by the way, I do want to just add a little bit of context to what the readers of the observer were thinking at the time, the show got 74.4% thumbs up 12.6% thumbs down and 13% in the middle. I'm not trying to be negative. But how the fuck 25% of fans thought this was anything other than a thumbs up is just crazy to me. You no, just- it, it is. It, here is exactly what that was. The poll was taken amongst Dave Meltzer readers. Well, I'm one of those. And supporters. That is all the people need to know. Thank you, Baron Von Roski. It's a poll amongst Dave Meltzer readers. That's why should be obvious. It's time. The main event is here. How nervous are you backstage at this moment? Not at all. By this point, I was nervous an hour before this. By this point, I've gone over the promo. I've stolen Larry Zabisco's reference to the new world order, which we covered in great detail last week. Um, I've gone through the promo with Hulk. We were kind of off in our own little office away from everybody else. Um, Hulk was calm. He was very confident. He was excited, but confident. Um, more, a little more serious than I used to see Hulk. You know, he was, Hulk was always so confident and, you know, he'd done it a million times. He'd seen it a million times. There was nothing really new in, in Hulk Hogan's world when it came to being out there and, you know, front of a large crowds wrestling in big matches. So it, those kinds of things never really affected Hulk and the way he carried himself backstage, but he was different this night. He was still very excited, but much more serious, much more focused. That's the best way to say it more focused than I had ever seen him. So by this time I was up in my, the safety of my little seat, and I was a hundred percent confident everything was going to go as planned. And now just like everybody else, I was excited to see it go down. It's a, uh, a, such a monumental moment and look how primitive the, this video is. But the song, by the way, it's still stuck in my head. From this the video. song was a ripoff of, oh, who was that? Play me a little more. Van Halen song, I'll think of it. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But it was a song I really liked. It just had a lot of energy to it and anticipation in yes. it. Yes. But certain songs you hear just makes you want to get up and go do something big. And that was one of those songs. Um, I gotta, I'm gonna think, I'll think of it. I'll tweet it out later. This shit comes to me like the odd time of the day. I'll be in the middle of doing something completely unrelated to what, you know, 
we're thinking about it, doing it on a podcast and then it'll pop into my head and I'll tweet it as soon as it does. One of the questions we're going to get asked a lot, and we should go ahead and get it out of the way. Dan Barillo wants to know, and we'll track it and play it when it happens. Do you wish you had warned Bobby Heenan not to tip his hand with Hogan, even though he didn't know. Also, how many people really knew Hogan would flip? Did you have to run it up the flagpole? Was there backlash from folks in Atlanta? That's 19 questions. We're going to go one by one. But when Hogan starts to march out to the ring, Heenan live on commentary would say, but whose side is he on? Which sort of spoiled the surprise because no one at home for the most part would have ever considered that he's going to be the bad guy. Of course, he's here to save our fallen heroes. Of course, he's here to rescue his old pal, the macho man, but that's not what happened. When he said the line, did you hear it live and just go, oh, fuck, wish he wouldn't have said that. No, I didn't hear it live because I was watching in the stands. I wasn't you know, in a production truck or sitting back in a gorilla position. So I didn't hear it until after it was over. And, you know, in retrospect, it was a mistake on Bobby's part. He jumped the gun. Bobby had not unlike a lot of announcers that I've heard in the past, um, the real need to be the smartest one at the table. You know, if you know a little bit more than everybody else, you know, somehow that makes you a better announcer. Um, very rarely did Bobby make mistakes like that, but he did. And I, I don't think it was intentional. I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but yeah, it, I wish it wouldn't have happened. But the reason I didn't get like ridiculously upset about it is because it had no adverse effect. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, how much damage did it do? Did it hurt the MWO? Did it hurt Hogan's turn? Measurably? Absolutely not. But it's one of those things you wish wouldn't happen. But, you know, I, I also, because, you know, I was operating under the basis of just let it be real. Let whatever comes out, comes out. Let it be natural. That's one of the risks that you take, that I took. And you can't be angry with somebody in the heat of the moment saying something when they haven't been given any guidance either. So you take the good with the bad. And, and that's one of the reasons why I never really got too wound up over it. The other question that uh, I do think we need to address as we see uh, Scott Hall coming out with the iconic gear, the black with uh, the blood dripping, dude, that's, that's a hell of a look. I think that's more iconic to me for him than even the razor Ramon look. What's say you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Razor Ramon was a powerful character for Scott for a period of time, but you know, well, and maybe because he still gets a check from it all, but you know, you see Scott Hall and Kevin Nash making public appearances today or Scott Steiner or Virgil or anybody else that was in the NWO and they're still wearing their NWO gear. That became the most iconic, but this was a good look. This is the precursor, if you will, the outsiders who had established themselves in really what may June six weeks of residence in WCW. And all of a sudden they're one of the biggest things in the wrestling business. That's how you get somebody over. We just saw, this is called the hostile takeover match, by the way. And we just saw a couple of uh, fans in the crowd who had painted their faces and had airbrush shirts for the occasion. 
but their shirts famously didn't say bash at the beach. They said bash on the beach. And here's mean Gene looking confused in the aisle. Fucking prepositions. Gene Okerlund is Gene Okerlund is going to the ring. He's going to find out who the third guy is, I guess. Well, he's in that conversation now with Michael Buffer. Oakland wants to know. That's what it is. Absolutely. We, we need to know. Right, Go, Gene. Go. Yeah, there you go. Gentlemen, if I could have your attention, I don't have police protection with me at this time, but I want to confront you in front of this full house here at the Ocean Center and millions of others across the country and around the world. I don't see three men here tonight. Where is your partner? You know, Scheme Gene, Chico, you know too much already. All you need to know, little man, is he's here and he's ready. Well, if he's... Well, wait a minute. Where is he? Is your partner telling me that your third man is in the building? Oh, he's here all right, Gene. Let me tell you something. We got enough to handle it right now, right here. Oh, for quite... Come on. Oh, man, I'm going to tell Come you what. Come on. They cannot handle our three guys. Yeah, okay. Let's send three out and just kick their teeth in and get it over with. There you go. Well, this is quite the story. I mean, they come out first, not second, because you know they're going to want to fight as soon as they're all in there. But, yeah, we have Mean Gene act confused and sell it. That's a nice little touch. Where, 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 where is he? Just building on the anticipation. Yeah. You know, the question, getting fans to ask the question, getting people to ask themselves the question when they're not watching television, that's called water. Cool. People used to talk about, you know, water cooler talk. They don't talk about it anymore because nobody's talking about wrestling anymore. Once they're done watching it very rarely, if they're, unless they're on Reddit or something like that, you know, just, I mean, I'm talking about mainstream audience, not hardcore wrestling fans who, listen to podcasts and things like that. But I mean, the average audience, the eight out of 10 people that tune into wrestling and then turn it off and go home and forget about it until next week, because there's nothing really compelling that's happening in wrestling today, probably because of oversaturation more than anything else, but it's just not happening back then. This period of time, there was a lot of water cooler talk. Everywhere, kids in school, people at work, kids in college, everywhere wanted to know who the third man was because we created anticipation, we sustained that anticipation, and we elevated the degree to which people had elevation throughout the course of the storyline. It was fun, fucking fun for everybody. Oh, and by the way, it made money. AdFreeShows.com has more to offer than I can handle. I'm debating quitting my job to listen full-time. Rebel every other Sunday? Yes, please. Yeah, these are real statements from brand new members at AdFreeShows.com. They made the jump and now it's your turn. From Q&As with today's top stars to brand new bonus content and video conferencing with wrestling legends, AdFreeShows.com is the missing piece to your wrestling fandom. It's access you gain to Hall of Fame talent that you won't find anywhere else, all while enjoying your favorite wrestling podcasts early and ad-free. Join today and begin a journey like none other. 
Don't miss out. Sign up today and find out what all the buzz is about over at adfreeshows.com. Pardon the interruption, but I wanted to tell you real quickly about two of the best ways to support 83 Weeks. One is to pick up a shirt from ericbischoff.com. Another is to grab a gimmick from boxagimmicks.com. It's the official store of 83 Weeks. Not only does this support the show financially, but you get to show off your fandom to others, helping spread the word about one of the best podcasts around. So check out ericbischoff.com and boxagimmicks.com. And thank you for listening to 83 Weeks. A lot of money, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, Why don't people do it more today? Why are producers and promoters? It's so obvious. Why don't they do it? Connor? I mean, I mean, I'm asking you seriously. I don't know. I'm not close enough to it anymore to understand the thought process, but God, these, I mean, this is basic shit. It's not brain surgery. Yeah. It's just simple. I agree. I mean, here's the thing. They did a big reveal when, when sting debuted for AW, it was a secret. Nobody knew, but by and large surprises are a thing of the past. Yeah. But there's a difference between surprise and anticipation. Had they built up yes. who's coming, who's next on the roster, who you know, there was no anticipation. It was a surprise came out of left field, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not being critical of well, that. I, it's I think- not the same thing as building anticipation. Social media has changed it a little bit, in my opinion, because the conversation Only if you don't use it correctly. Only if you don't make it work for you, instead of you working for it, therein lies the difference. People producing wrestling right now are working for social media instead of having social media work for them. All social media is, is another tool. It takes the place of water cooler buzz. Now you've got digital water cooler buzz, but you got to know how to use it. You got to make a commitment to it. Get us that. You got to know the secret. There's no fucking secret. It's easy. The idea is easy. The execution of it is hard, but the idea is easy. Take note, producers, promoters, the fucking work. Go back and watch the show. Learn some basics. Make it work for you today. It's not that hard. You'll make money. Trust me. What, um, what other examples of anticipation can you cite that you built in wrestling besides this one? Oh God. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I think the, I, I, you know, I know this is going to get, you know, a lot of chuckles from people that are listening to the show, but go back and watch the storyline that we did with aces and eights and TNA. There is another example of it. Now, did it play out as big on as big a stage? Absolutely not. TNA was TNA. But if you go back and you, you look at the aces and eights storyline, you don't have to take it from me because I'm blowing my own horn here. Talk to bully. Next time you see him, ask him about how that storyline developed. And the way we built anticipation and the way we executed on it when it was time to pay it off certainly didn't play out as big as this did, but the foundation, the fundamentals of that story worked really well for a long period of time. And by the way, delivered some of the highest ratings in TNA history as a result of the aces and eight shows or aces and eight storyline. Some of the highest attendance in in live events, televised live events in TNA history, the result of the Aces and Eights storylines. Not bragging, because it wasn't just my idea. I was behind a lot of it. There was a lot of other people that collaborated with it, including Bully. But go back and watch that and analyze it and see how we did that. It's not unlike what we did here, just not on the same scale. 
You weren't expecting that, were you? You thought you were going to catch me flat-footed. No, 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 no. I, I wanted you to give another example. I knew you had one. I mean, you wouldn't feel so strongly about it. By the way, this is an important piece of the match here, and we're going to discuss it uh, because Meltzer wrote about it. But specifically, before we even get into that, you knew that you had to have a distraction, right? So you had to have, if Hogan just comes out and randomly, now it looks and feels like, well, Hogan's definitely the third man. So you had to have somebody go down and it's Lex Luger doing the stretcher job now. So now instead of it being three on two, where the bad guys are at a disadvantage, they've leveled it up. They've taken one of theirs down. Lex Luger strapped in. He's out of here. So now when Hogan does appear, you have a little bit of, wait a minute, right? I mean, otherwise, because you just assume when Luger goes down, well, when Hogan's coming, he's going to help the good guys. But if Luger or nobody gets stretchered out, it's going to be four on two. That didn't make any sense. Yeah. That would take you right out of the game. You'd lose it. Who, um, who would have been responsible for laying out? This match, I'm saying from an agent perspective, like creatively, who comes and says, all right, we got to have somebody do the stretcher job or this won't make sense. That would have been a, I wasn't involved in it. I can tell you that that would have been Kevin, you know, kind of holding court, calling the meeting, but it would have been Randy Scott, Kevin and stay. I mean, everybody would have had input on that Hulk. Certainly. Um, because the spot was his spot. It was his turn. So he would have had a loud voice in that, in that room, but I guarantee you it was a very collaborative effort. Let's um, let's talk about the actual thread of the show. Who's the third man. Who's the third man. Who's the third man. You had lots of uh, commentary. You had uh, not just commentary from the desk. But you had these cutaway segments with Mean Gene in the backstage area, the interviews, the video package. There is a a a a thread through the entire show building to this moment. Who would have sort of laid out the format that included all of those? Would that have been you? Would that have been Kevin Sullivan? Or who was in charge of sort of formatting this program? Uh, it would have been Craig Leathers and I would have worked together. I mean, when I say that, it would have been, you know everybody involved on the production side of the equation, but it would have been led by Craig Leathers and in close consultation with me. But I, if, if I had to pick one person that would have been responsible to turn in that format, it would have been Craig Leathers, the director. And Craig would have worked with Kevin Sullivan and, you know, the other people involved in all the other matches, you know, to put that whole thing together. It wouldn't have been just Craig Leathers by himself. Certainly there would have been a lot of input in it, but he would have been the guy. Chat me up about, um, Turner. We asked the question earlier, did you have to run it up the flagpole? This is a major investment. And I know that you've, you've said that for the most part, Ted and, and company were mostly hands off at this era. You got to, Hey, just get us profitable, Eric. You know, we need some good ratings. Keep up the good work. That seems like the, the, the vibe that we've gotten, uh, here in 83 weeks, as far as your relationship with them. But when you have to make a major investment, one that doesn't exactly fit in the budget and you have to go out and have a meeting and say, listen, it's 
not in our budget, but we could get Hulk Hogan. And now you've had him for a couple of years. And, uh, that new car smell has sort of worn off in the last two years, but you're still, you still have him on paper. So it makes sense to try to do something with him. So you have this idea, you convince him. Do you think you need to run it past Ted or someone in Turner? Like, Hey, uh, I know he's been the cash cow and the way we've been selling this thing to, to advertisers and the mainstream. And when we pull out our pitch book and we talk about the, the red and the yellow and Hulk Hogan, that's all going to change. Now it feels like that's at least worth a conversation. Did it happen? Nope. Wow. Nope. Hey, I didn't, I wasn't required to have <clears throat> get creative approval from anybody to do anything I wanted to do <clears throat> at that point. <clears throat> Again, this is pre AOL time Warner <clears throat> before a bunch of people that didn't know their ass from a bag of rocks about wrestling decided to tell us how to produce wrestling. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have a cough and, button that you discovered a few weeks ago, by the way. Oh, wait a minute. Let me use it again. Sorry. No, you I, don't, don't I apologize. Don't, don't make a cough up. I mean, just saying if you got one, we, we had a whole process here on the show where you got really excited about using it. I know. I, I just forgot about it. I, I get that way. You know, I get, you know, it's like bright, shiny objects. I go, wow, I got a cough button or I got this button over here to make cricket sounds. I get excited about it and I forget all about it. Shady shenanigans. Short attention span. But no, I didn't have to get any approval from anybody. Not only did I not have to get approval from anybody, I didn't even want to tell someone in passing what I was thinking about doing because I didn't want it to get out. I just didn't want to. I only told the people that absolutely needed to know when they absolutely needed to know it. Mm-hmm. What a great life. That was what, that was when television was fun. As that was, it was such a great period of time. And I've said this a million times and I mean it every time I say it, I would cut off a body part. I'd be careful about which one I chose, but I would, I'd give up a finger or a digit you know, to have an opportunity to go back and work for Turner Broadcasting when Ted was running Turner Broadcasting and before it became a corporate arm of something else and run like a bank instead of like a television company. Um, It was a great time to be involved in the television business, particularly if you were in the wrestling business. Meltzer was critical of the way you got to the stretcher job of Luger. You know, it was a stinger splash that supposedly took him out and Meltzer would say, oh, he's been destroyed a million times worse and never even sold it. Should fuck you. I guess my question is in hindsight, is that one thing you could critique and say, we should have did something maybe a little more devastating than Lex? No. Cause nobody other than that little jerk off paid any attention to it. No. Okay. The, he would also say, uh, the heat with a literal flood of debris being thrown at the ring was as intense as anything we've seen in us rings at a major arena in years. After the match, Hogan gave one of his best interviews in years, basically talking about building a giant organization up North and making the owners of that company millions of dollars, then coming to work for billionaire Ted, who offered him millions. Hogan portrayed it as if Hogan had proved he was bigger than pro wrestling and that the WCW fans were just Johnny come lately's who wouldn't even be attending the matches uh, for WCW. If Hogan hadn't joined and basically called the fans garbage told them to stick it because of the way they had reacted to him the past few months and that he had done all kinds of charity work. The half shoot half work interview was strong and focused enough that it incited enough heat from some fans in the building who were ripping up and throwing down their Hogan merchandise. And a few people were even seen crying. 
Still, according to the live reports, approximately 25% of the fans were still cheering Hogan Hall and Nash, uh, and Nash and Hall received a predominantly babyface reaction when the match began. Again, I think they're cheering because they're stars. They're excited to see stars. They're excited to see new wrestling fans love new. And that's what we've got here. But the heat is the most real moment, maybe in WCW history up to that point. How about, how about anywhere? Yeah. I, and I, I challenge, you know, anybody and in this case, Dave, who says, you know, it's the most heat we've seen in garbage. We've seen thrown in a ring anywhere inside of the United States. Okay. Show me some video and maybe it's out there. It's Mexico. What he's talking happen. about hair matches but, but in I, Mexico were bananas, but in to your point, nobody up here fucking saw him. Right. Correct. Yeah. Correct. There was, and it was real heat. And again, Dave said, according to local reports, because the cheap fucker was too lame to really go in person and cover anything firsthand. So oh. he relied on his little birds, kind of like Jim Cornette to report to him what they saw. And then he reported that as fact, these are just fans, you know, and somehow they measured about 25% of the people Yeah, whatever it, it pays off to actually attend an event yourself because you actually get a different feel for things than you do from sitting in your fucking disaster of an office um, writing about shit you don't understand, and relying on you know wrestling fans to give you that information. Um, there was real heat, and I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. I doubt Dave has. Uh, certainly, the American audience, people watching around the world, hadn't the vast, vast, vast majority of them. And I don't think we've seen any heat like it since that I can recall. Maybe you can. I can't. Why am I getting agitated? I don't because we keep talking about Dave Meltzer. Here we've got this glorious event, a, a, a an event, and particularly a match that has changed the world. It's such a great moment, and we're talking about this shit bag. <clears throat> I gotta, I gotta have a cleansing sip of water. You know what I want for my birthday, Eric? Can I ask for a birthday present? Sure, you can, bro. Can we like go a month without you bashing Eric Bischoff? I mean, uh, Dave Meltzer. Sure. If you go a month without bringing up the stupid shit, he says, great. I'm going to let you format the next four shows and no, you, no. <laughs> you drive and I'll respond and I'll agree or disagree. And I'll get in the weeds and I'll tell you about my relationship with liver sausage. We'll just flip flop. And for four, I'll be a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it'll be like when we, with the NWO took over nitro, we'll just try there, it. There, there, there goes the end of our podcast. <laughs> You don't know my lip. You don't know my relationship with liver sausage. I got a lot to say. I bet I turned you on to it. Fuck. You turned me off to it forever. Liver sausage is good, man. Next time I come to Alabama, I'm going to bring some to give everybody your time. Fry some liver sausage up with fried onions. Oh my word. It's awesome. Uh, give everybody the uh, time code where you are, Eric. All right. I am at, uh, two hours, 35 minutes and 15 seconds. Kevin Nash working over sting in the corner. Sadly, uh, macho man and our referee are no longer with us, but everybody else is and considering 25 year old wrestling. That's actually pretty good odds. What a moment. This is the buildup. This is, and this is the fun part for me as I'm sitting there watching, cause I know we're moments away. The match is going great. 
People are into the match. They're not overly, I mean, look at the audience. If you're watching along with us, great. If not, go back and watch it. But at this stage of the match, we're just about ready to make the big move here. Yeah, people are into it, but they're not. Now Randy's coming in. Now you got people standing up on their feet and cheering because it looks like the good guys are going to come away with it. And I think by now, people have probably, the people in the arena are probably have forgotten all about the third man. Obviously, people at home that are watching on television are hearing commentary, and I'm sure the announcers are keeping that fresh in everybody's mind. But at this stage, if you're sitting there at ringside and you're into this match, you're not even really thinking about it, at least not at this moment. Randy Savage making the baby face comeback on fire. Double nut shot. Ow. I always hate when that happens. Every time Mrs. B hits me with one of those, it's like, God dang it, Lori. What did I do to deserve that? And here he comes. Come on. Hulk Hogan is here. Hulk Hogan's here. Hulk Hogan is in the building. You're damn right he is. Go get him, Hulkster. Yeah, but whose side is he on? Go get him. There it was. What are you talking about? Yes, sir. Get him, Hogan. Go get him, baby. Come on and get some of this now. Who's bad now, boys? Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is he doing? Oh, my God. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man. Look at this. Oh my God! What the hell is going on? Oh my God! Are you kidding me? Probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother! What have I been saying all these years? What have I been saying all these years? Oh oh my God! A career it's, of a lifetime. It's right down the drain, kid. I hope you love it. Can you, you see? What do you think? I got chill bumps watching it. I did too. It was such a cool moment. So grateful to have been a part of that. And to be there in the arena watching it as 8,000 other people were. And I don't know how many people were watching at home, but what a what a cool experience to be a part of something that literally changed this industry that's been around since the beginning of television time and actually before television. You know, the professional wrestling has been, it is truly an American pop culture phenomenon and has been since day one. <clears throat> but to see a moment like this that was so significant, um, you know, other than Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, you know, at WrestleMania. I, I don't know that there's been a bigger moment before this or a bigger moment since. I don't think there has been. I mean, it's, I know some you know, hardcore WWF fans would say, oh, and the undertaker streak ended, but now that pales now, in comparison to that. This. Didn't, and that was a cool moment. Don't get me wrong. That was a magic moment, man. That was an emotional moment, but it didn't change anything. Yes. Correct. That's. That's what I keep going back to. We can all love something or appreciate something. Um, because it scratches whatever individual itch we have about what we like to watch. But unless it's actually changed the industry for the better, yeah, it's just something you like. Look at the fan this, trying to jump in. It's real, man. Uh, the trash is flying in. 
Mean Gene's got the stick. Let's take a listen. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Mean Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. been with you for so many years for you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach and I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man this man and you want to put yourself in this group you've got to be kidding me well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north, and everybody was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother? I've been there. I've done that. You have made the wrong decision, in my opinion. Well, let me tell you something. I made that organization a monster. I made people rich up there. I made the people that ran that organization rich up there, brother. And when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches and as far as billionaire ted goes eric bischoff and the whole wcw goes i'm bored brother that's why these two guys here the so-called outsiders these are the men i want as my friends they're the new blood of professional wrestling brother and not only are we going to take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nat. As far as I'm concerned, all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here for two years brother for two years i held my head high i did everything for the charities i did everything for the kids and the reception i got when i came out here you fans can stick it brother because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, 
all these Johnny Come Lately's that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the new world organization of wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the new world organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna don't do? Don't touch me, I'm gonna flee the lawyers. Cody, Bobby, Dusty, damn it, let's get back to you. Cut. All right, we have seen the end of Hulkamania. For Bobby the Brain Heenan, for, Dust, for Dusty Rhodes, Gene Okerlund, I don't know. I'm Tony Schiavone. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. We're out of here. Straight to hell. What a great line. How great was Tony's close? There is an example of less was perfect. Yes. It was pure emotion. He could have babbled on and on and on and on and on to get himself over. But instead, he went with his gut and his instinct, and that was the most real moment I've heard on commentary in maybe forever. That was awesome. Uh, no, I'm going to take that back. There were other more real moments. That was one of the top five that I've ever heard. A tremendous moment, a major moment in wrestling history after the show. Or I guess I wanted to ask this too. Where in the arena were you when this show was, was happening? I was way up in the, I was in the cheapest seat I could find wearing a hat and a pair of sunglasses. When do you start to make your way backstage at what point in what we just saw after this, after we, I wanted to be there. I wanted to feel it like the crowd felt it. I kind of learned and, and started doing that consistently around this time is rather than watching shit in a gorilla position, because I'm a firm believer to this day, you can sit back there and gorilla with your headsets on and, you know, talking to everybody, making you feel like you're flying an airplane and you're the captain of the ship and you are. However, you don't feel things the way the audience feels them when you're putting yourself in that position. So I didn't feel the need to prove that I was boss and yell at people over the headsets and try to be, you know, the captain in charge. <clears throat> I had good people in those positions, I wanted to feel it like the audience felt it. That's how you get to know whether your product's really connecting or whether you think it is. You come backstage afterwards. What's oh, the hell? Yeah. What's the mood? Ridiculously good. I mean, that everybody, I mean, Scott and Kevin, obviously Hulk, the entire crew was beside themselves with how well this thing turned out and how people reacted to it. It was indescribable, really never experienced anything like that since or before. How was Hogan? Was he, uh, he was obviously nervous beforehand. Was he relieved? Was he satisfied? Was he happy? Overjoyed. I think he was, I th of course you're relieved. It was a big moment for him and as confident as, as he appeared to be. And I think he was trying to convince himself. He was confident, you know, when he got to the building because he was more intense, he was more focused. As I said earlier, um, there had to be a little bit of a, I mean, it had to be the fear of the unknown. It had to be the excitement because I think in his heart, he knew it was going to work um, for all the right reasons, but it's still, 
you know, it's still a fear of the unknown, right? What if it didn't? What if it didn't quite get the reaction that he thought it would? You know, you always have that, no matter what you're doing, I guess. I don't think anybody goes into anything 100% confident. Um, but yeah, when he came out of there, he was floating. He was four feet off the ground. Was there anybody who reached out to you afterwards and said, I was wrong. Good job. No. Did you hear from, go ahead. No, people, no. I mean, people were very supportive and and loved it and said all the right, you know, positive things, but nobody came and said, yeah, yeah, I guess I called that one wrong. No. What about, uh, Turner? Did you hear from anyone in Turner who said, Hey man, I don't know what you're doing, but that was badass. Oh yeah. Everybody, you know, got a call from Ted, talked to Brad Siegel the next day. Um, what are they saying? Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, nothing specific other than congratulatory type of things, but it was pretty obvious that this was groundbreaking yeah. for WCW and for wrestling in general. And everybody acknowledged it, which is all very supportive. They just said kind things that you would expect them to say. Anything else we can uh, put a bow on this episode with what a monumental moment it was. Thank you for sharing it with us here. You know, as we're right at the 25 year anniversary, it's a big deal. And I, I feel privileged to be able to watch it with you, but is there anything else you want to share with our listeners about this particular moment in time? No, I mean, we've, we've talked about it a lot. You know, this moment has been covered ad nauseum with shoot interviews and videos and books and all of the above, but you know, I want to thank the people that joined us for this podcast and are watching, watching along with us because this is the first time I've watched this particular podcast from begin our broadcast uh, pay-per-view from beginning to end since it happened. So it was fun for me too, man. I enjoyed it as much as everybody. I hope enjoyed listening to it. It is interesting too, you know, just to talk about the match for a minute, if that doesn't happen at the end people would probably still be talking about that Mysterio psychosis match because it was so damn good, but because Hogan took over the industry at the end and reclaimed his top spot as the most powerful man in wrestling or biggest draw or whatever, the way that happened, it overshadowed everything else in a major way. It certainly did. And, and did for a long time. Yeah. You know, this, we rode this way for quite a while and now WWE gets to ride that wave. So grateful for that too, man. And we're going to keep riding that wave next week. We have got uh, some big surprises coming your way and oh yeah, we're going to be doing an ask Eric anything, but my favorite thing I'm looking forward to is the nitro the night after this, we're going to see Hulk Hogan. Like we've never seen him before. And we sort of freestyled. What if he had turned heel on nitro and not on the pay-per-view, well, we're going to take a look at what that nitro looked like real soon coming up here on the show. Until next time, he is at E. Bischoff. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, tons of content, more than you could probably shake a stick at, over at adfreeshows.com. We'll see you next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Okay, if you've listened to this show for very long, by now you know what you're thinking. I hate Steven Singer, too. And you're darn right you do, because we've told you loudly and proudly that he is one of our favorite people to do business with, and he's going to be yours too, but unfortunately, he eliminates all of the excuses. Here's what I mean. Finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but man, do we hate all the pressure of what's next. 
Of course, there's all the engagement talk, but then there's the pressure from actually shopping for a ring, hassle, haggling, finding a store to trust, trying to figure out what the heck the four C's are, discounts, sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. It's overwhelming, but at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged. That's why this guy's really hate Steven Singer. He takes away every excuse in the book for not buying the ring. And he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler and icon that's been making it too easy to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. No call center, no sales, no haggling, no codes or discounts, just the best possible price guaranteeing the best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly or online at I hate always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate at SaveWithConrad.com, we want to be your mortgage advisor for life. Just ask Julia from Little Elm, Texas. Julia left us a five-star review, and she had this to say. This is our second time refinancing with First Family. The first refinance allowed us to get cash out that helped us get out of debt and complete renovations on our home. Then we were able to sell it at a great price. Now that we're in our forever home, we refinanced again to take advantage of the low rates. We have a lovely home and room to breathe in our budget. Derek and Jennifer made the process easy and comfortable both times, and I can't recommend them more highly. Man, this is what I'm talking about, Julia. Thank you for that five-star review. No matter what you're looking for, you want to buy, no problem. We got you. Maybe it's time to renovate that house, but you don't have the cash. No problem. We can hook you up. What about if you need a little bit of cash to knock out some credit card debt and give yourself a little breathing room in your budget? No problem. But my favorite one, hey, let's go ahead and take advantage of these rates. Let's cut years off of our loan. Let's get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. Every step of the way, SaveWithConrad.com is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And man, if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Get a quick quote right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Think about what we're saying, guys. No house payments for two months and keep more of your own money. Save with Conrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.